Welcome to Path to Glory, a Warhammer Underworlds podcast that focuses on competitive gaming, player development, and community growth. This episode was made possible by our patrons, so thank you so much to all of you. If you're interested in learning more or perhaps even supporting us, check us out at patreon.com slash path to glory. Today's episode, we'll be talking about the hunter and quarry mechanic, but before we do that, I'd like to introduce my co-host and his exploits in the Beast Grave. Jonathan and his murderous retinue were dispatched to the Beast Grave by Bramarathi in search of long hidden shard of Cain. Shadowed paths brought him to the mountain, and immediately he knew that his objective was near. What else could account for the visions of slaughter and echoes of battle that haunted Beast Grave's megalithic depths? In truth, however, their quest was a fool's errand, for Marathi knew no shard lay in the mountains. Jonathan had questioned his liege a little too publicly, and was sent to the Beast Grave for his temerity. This was a poor punishment for the Hag Queen, though. The, or actually, well, you're not a hag queen, but Jonathan, the hag king, because the Jonathan and his daughters of Cain found many offerings to the Lord of Murder in the mountain's ancient halls, and his dedication may yet see him escape the beast grave's grasp. <laughs> Interesting. Hello. Yeah. Hello. <laughs> Hello, you blood elf. Or not you blood elf, you, you witch elf. Yeah. How are you doing? That's uh, That's interesting. I'm doing well. I didn't realize you were banished to the beast grave, dude. I know. I was. What did it say? I was. It was too presumptuous or something. You. You just questioned Marathi, and she didn't like it. Whoops. <laughs> I'll. I'll uh, try to do that less from now on. Seems like a smart idea. Well, thank you for joining, as always, my lovely co-host. Um, <laughs> That's Hag Queen to you. <laughs> <laughs> Um, for reference, this episode was recorded on August 25th, 2020. And, um, in addition to the Hunter 4 mechanic and other things that we're going to talk about, as always, we'll cover Underworlds news, community shoutouts, and of course, listener questions. So, uh, yeah. Mr. Hag Queen, go ahead and kick things off with, uh, community <laughs> shoutouts. Or Underworlds news, rather. Yeah, so we'll go through some news real quick. Um, I do want to add a correction to the previous episode we did on the card commentary. Um, it was actually Gerard the Professor and the Tango, not Nick and the Flamingo. I can so, see how we would have got that messed up there. Yeah, yeah. If, if, if uh, you listen to that episode, you'll know what we're talking about. If not, <laughs> go listen to it, I guess. I would also like to point um, out, and I let Gerard know that I was going to do this, <laughs> I did score set the tempo against him. So, did you do? Did you do any tango moves? No, but I told him next time I see him, he's gonna tango for me. So, <laughs> all right. Hopefully, we'll see him at Nova next year. Great. Um, we also want to give many thanks to our newest Patreon supporters. We have uh, three of them. Um, keep them guessing: Matt, Call, WG, and Compact. Um, we really appreciate it. Um, we've also been having some great questions and conversations in the patreon channels of the discord so that's been a lot of fun um and then i think uh, up next we have new releases yeah special shout out again to uh, our patreon supporters and uh yeah looking forward to more conversations there uh new releases well morgox crushes and Morgwaite's blade coven led by jonathan are on, on the tabletop <laughs> <laughs> um uh, it's it's a long time coming, so I'm sure everyone spent the weekend collecting these models, putting them together, and you know, 
after a long time putting sleeves or cards into sleeves. Um, I actually <laughs> spent the uh, Sunday afternoon doing that, and it was actually quite therapeutic. Yeah, yeah. the The models are great. I especially like the uh, daughters, and uh, the orcs are cool too. The way that they are able to get such big models on the those couple sprues is always fascinating to me. So, yeah, I, I was time putting those together. Yeah, I was surprised by how easy. Comparatively, of course, how the Blade Coven were easy to put together versus the Crushes. Oh, yeah. The Blade Coven just, like, went right together. Yeah. Um, I was pretty amazed. Yeah, so shout out to Games Workshop. If it's one thing they know what yeah. they're... If it's one thing they know what they're doing 100% and they're the best at, it's making the best miniatures, so... Yeah. The Camus model is, I think, my favorite by, like, a long shot this time. Yeah. She looks cool, man. Um, yep. Also, if you are keeping up with Warhammer Underworlds online, the official video game for the tabletop version, Eyes of the Nine were just released. Yeah, so what do you think about uh, Eyes of the Nine coming into the game? Um, it's an interesting choice. Um, I played, I think, one game with them so far. Um, uh, it's interesting. They're just kind of a weird warband you know, to start with. Um, in the meta like that with uh, so few cards and but also a lot of damage um, it's kind of interesting um, he's also one of the few range three fighters so um, I'm interested to see how the players in the league um, how they're able to perform so far I think two people have played games and it was one win and one loss so um, pretty good so far I guess do you think the damage aspect is is beneficial to them or or harmful? Because I feel like, you know, even now, with Tarvia and uh, not, not Tarash and Narvia rather, because they're range fighters as well. Um, so like a lucky hit can like lead into like a trap or something like that, right? Do you think it's useful for them or is it just more of a detriment? Hmm. I'm not sure. I think that um, I think that is pretty good for Kacharik. But I'm not sure. But we do have like shade glass dagger and stuff, so I think the little guys can be useful sometimes. I've heard some people have had success by just putting in as much mobility as possible and kind of avoiding the other players. Like Magors are very popular. I think they may have the passive glory to outscore Steelhearts in some situations as well, um, and they definitely have a lot of mobility. So um, <clears throat> there might be some game there. And then if they do release. You know some more magic and stuff we may see an interesting meta with magic but no curse breakers um, so that could be interesting i find that to be very interesting and, and yes you're right we do need some sort of universal magic support um, which is strictly a night vault feature but again now that we've added two night vault warbands to the online game um, it seems it seems quite interesting uh, to me um, i do think that you know hard aggro is going to give them a hard time personally yeah, yeah. I agree. Well, in other news, um, <laughs> there was a new season of Warhammer Underworlds announced as part of the online preview this past Saturday, which I woke up very early for. The Shadow, Iron, and Broken Realms Warhammer, uh, Warhammer Community preview. So a new season is approaching. Uh, season 4, the official title is called Dire Chasm. And the, yeah, uh, yeah it's, I mean, super exciting, right? I mean, first of all, like, uh, according to the, like, the map, it's, like, not coming for another five months. But uh, 
it's really nice to get some hype going, I think, and, and uh, you know, get, get really excited there. It's, it seems as like we've got a rush of, like we've been in a drought for a long time, and now there's like the floodgates have opened and we're just getting new stuff. And I'm very excited. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it is supposed to be December, right? That's right. Which I guess I can't do simple math, but still four months, I think, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, about four yeah. months, something yeah. like that. So, Sorry. yeah, that's exciting. And we've uh, seen, you know, the the cover of the box. So we have some hints about the uh, first two warbands. Yeah, yeah. So the if, if you look on the Warhammer community website, um, which has 299 upvotes, I just made it 300. Um, <laughs> the Slanesh, so there's, so the box is full of Lumineth and Slaneshi, uh, Slanesh, oh, yeah. Slanesh Warband, right? So long awaited for, for Slanesh. Uh, since the beginning of the game, people have been asking, where is Slanesh? Where is Nurgle? <laughs> and it seems like we've gotten one, like, god per season now, which is kind of exciting if you think about it. Uh, we, you know, we got front loaded with, front loaded with corn, and now we've got some really cool Slanesh on the way. Um, the box art is really cool. So the names of the two warbands, according to the Warhammer Community article, um, the Celestia Head Knights of the Dread Pageant. So it sounds like they're going to be called the Dread Pageant. That's cool. Yeah. Entered the living mountain in search of Slanesh and now revel in the sensation of endless slaughter, death, and rebirth. So they're definitely on drugs. <laughs> um, and then we have the Lumineth Realm Lords, which are called, and I'm going to butcher this name, but Miari's Purifiers. And they have mm-hmm. pledged to calm the mountain's growing wrath. If you're familiar with Lumineth lore, they're like really in tune with the spirits. And so, um, and they have like the aspect of a mountain, which is a giant bull goat mountain thing that they can summon to battle by getting in tune with the elements. So maybe they're trying to calm down the mountain that is the beast grave. So, yeah. Yeah. The, if, I guess if you've been paying attention to the Age of Sigmar line, the uh, both the new Lumineth and the new Slanesh models are pretty incredible. Oh, um, yeah. So I really can't wait to see what these look like. Yeah, yeah. Just from the box alone. So, you know, classic to all of these starter sets, we've got, you know, one of the leaders of one of the two uh, factions looming in the background. Yeah. And so season one, it was Severin Steelheart with a very goofy looking face. <laughs> um, number two was the Briar Queen. Grashrak looked incredible on the Beast Grave cover. So in this one, if the name is uh, any indicator, it looks like this is Miari, right? The leader yeah. of this warband. And he is a wizard. It looks like it. He's got a staff and he's got an owl familiar. So that looks really cool. I'm a big fan of owls in general. I've watched documentaries on them, so I'm pretty excited. And actually, if you looked at one of the, you know how they do like those snippets where they kind of preview models and they're like, guess what's coming up next or what do you think this is? Yeah. Well, they confirmed on stream that one of the, the owl itself, they previewed a long time ago. So if you like dig through the archives, you'll find exactly what the owl looks like. And I will say it looks pretty cool. Very cool. Yeah. And so it looks like we've got Niari. And then just on the box, which may not be indicative of how many fighters are in each warband, it looks like there is a female, what looks to be a female Lumineth with a, like a double with two hands on a sword. We've got a uh, another uh, helmeted, it's one of those hammer guys, and then like a two-handed hammer, and then we've got an archer as well. So it looks like maybe a four, four-man warband, and then the other one, we've got... Uh, you know, for another four fighters, looks like something similar. Like looks like some sort of um, 
Middle Eastern vibe in terms of like a veil. She, you know, what she reminds me of. Um, who's that? Melina from Mortal Kombat. I don't know if you. Uh, yeah, that's what she looks like. You know, we've got like a looks like a Slangor, which looks super cool. Chaos Lord right there in the back, and then another Archer. So uh, it's really exciting because we haven't got human Slanesh models in a really long time. So super yeah, super true. excited because um, every other faction has them. And as someone who is a big fan of elves and Slanesh in general, um, this is like the perfect box dream come true to me, honestly. Um, yeah, very cool. Yeah. Um, are, is there anyone that you think looks more interesting to you or are you just kind of excited for the whole box itself? Um, I like the Slangor quite a bit um, from the picture. I'm, I'm also really excited to see how that would translate to the the real game. I wonder if it's just going to be another Chikarik situation or um, something like that, but very interested in that. Um, I'm, I don't think High Elves have really been my aesthetic of choice, um, but I do think they look good. So, and of course, I'm always interested to see how these uh, warbands will function like mechanically as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we, and as you mentioned, uh, I guess the sort of trepidation you have there for the Beastmen, because they've kind of, as a whole, been slightly underwhelming. In the underworld, yeah. Um, <laughs> this one looks pretty terrifying, though. So, yeah, Max Bernstein made a comment that we have another nomination for best booty in underworld. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. Shout out to Max Bernstein uh, and uh, Randall Slate from uh, Battle for Salvation. But that's not all. So, a lot of people. So, I'm really excited with the box itself. But you know, a lot a dream came true for a lot of people because they actually uh, revealed a model for uh the upcoming for an upcoming warband and it's someone it's actually what they mentioned on stream is the most requested warband that they've had for this game period so they actually previewed uh autopodal a chameleon skink yep the seraphon are coming to warhammer underworlds and i just love this model i don't know if you've taken the time to study it but i think it's just fantastic yeah it's really cool it has like a little frog dart pouch which is awesome yeah um, it's like a dead excited. Th- this is probably the one of the three that I'm the most excited for um, from an aesthetic sort of perspective. Um, I think I've always liked the lizard men um, when it comes to the Age of Sigmar warbands or factions. I mean, dude, it's like when we're all kids, we get dinosaur <laughs> toys and then we grow up and yeah. we remember we like dinosaurs and then they make dinosaurs riding other dinosaurs and you're just like, whoa. <laughs> yeah, and like the slant are really cool and the the big, uh, what are they, Croxagors or something? Dude, Croxagors um, are sick, yeah. Yeah, all of them are just just really cool. So yeah. excited to see what they uh, do for those. Yeah, very very excited for season four. Glad that it's happening. Glad that it's been announced. Um, name is Dire Chasm again. And then before we get into some of the questions surrounding these releases, there is another um, Underworlds release that was announced as well. So this looks yeah. like, uh, this is called Arena Mortis, so same name of the White Dwarf rules that were posted earlier this year or late last year. So it says, expanding on the rules first presented in White Dwarf, Arena Mortis contains everything you need to use your existing fighters in a thrilling multiplayer clash. So it uh, looks like it's a multiplayer variant of the game. However, it does come with a double-sided board, which is, I guess, perfect for Arena Mortis battles, but it can and will be used in uh, the regular game and just looking at some of the boards i'm really excited to see you know um lethals on edge hexes blocked hex- blocked hexes on edge hexes as well 
which is really exciting. Yeah. Um, one of the boards, which I think is the one that is the most visible, looks fantastic for an aggro setup, regardless of how you get. Uh, if you lose board, you can probably place that one down and you'll probably have a fighter in charge range no matter what, which I think looks really cool. Uh, and in addition yeah. to that, we're getting 40 new universal power cards. So these are used, I guess, for Arena Mortis, but um, can be used in the main championship alliance and relic formats as well. So 20 gambits and 20 upgrades. So pretty excited. Why do you think they didn't include universals? Uh, you mean upgrades? Or I mean uh, objectives? Universal. Uh, yeah, sorry. I guess I should have added another <laughs> word to that. Uh, objectives. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think they actually mention in the description that and i think if i think from what i remember the white dwarf one i don't think the game mode has objectives um so it looks like it's kind of cool what they did it seems like this is basically the the board pack for the season and the card pack for the season combined and then it kind of has an extra game mode available to it as well yeah Um, so i'm thinking they you know they kind of want it to be a standalone product that you can use um you know, with your collection, but then you can also combine it with, uh, uh, you know, the full game. And then I imagine you can, I guess we'll have to see what the rules are, but I imagine you could probably add cards to the selection and those special decks and stuff too. Um, so I'm sure you could tool out a deck specifically for this game mode, kind of like you do with the giant or something like that as well. Yeah. But, um, I'm interested to see how it works. There's a lot of different tokens and stuff that are not familiar. Um, and I've, I think I may have played Arena Mortis with the White Dwarf version once, um, and I don't think it was... looks like there's a lot more to it now, so that'll be exciting. Yeah, definitely so. Very excited. And then, again, uh, I, I guess the counters don't translate to the main game, but for those of you who just like collecting stuff and using it or don't have the Beast Grave counter pack, and then these maybe some substitutes here. Looks pretty cool. Um, it looks like a whole bunch of numbers, so maybe you can track wounds that way too, which is pretty neat. Um, yeah, and those may just be alternate objectives or something too. We see something like that. So yeah, and uh, I guess that's another. Maybe those are activation tokens as well. So I, yeah, I really like that purple color. Those are pretty cool. Yeah, me too. Um, so yeah, lots of excitement, lots of announcements. The cover looks cool. It looks like every faction leader plus Sepsimus, because apparently. Uh, <laughs> uh, what's her name? Hag- not no, it's uh, Facula. Facula, yeah. She uh, had a, a appointment or something. She had <laughs> she a dentist appointment. Yeah, but um, yeah, makes makes me wonder if like Sepsimus was supposed to be the leader of the warband, <laughs> <laughs> and then they maybe have changed it over time because it's literally every leader but Sepsimus, which is interesting. Um, and pretty much yeah. Sepsimus is the leader if you play that warband because he does everything. And I think if I think if I was going to play a Nurgle fighter in Arena Mortis, he would be the one. So yeah, I feel like Bulgash is a great fighter, but and he should yeah. get love. But Sepsimus is just such a good fighter by by himself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's funny we mm-hmm. see we see Grashrak casting like a spell, which is funny because he'll never do that in the game. <laughs> yeah, he's, it looks like he's taking on uh, Rothgorn. <laughs> yeah, he's Rothgorn's having steak tonight. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So lots of cool updates, a lot of lot of really cool stuff. I highly recommend you go to the Warcom page, check out that preview page. Lots of cool stuff there. Um, the teaser trailer was really neat, and you got to see 
like the silhouettes of some of the models. Um, so, but there's no guessing game like there was for Beast Grave this time. You know exactly what they kind of look like based on the the art demonstrated on the box. And then if you look, uh, some sharp-eyed or eagle-eyed observe, observers have noticed that there are a total of 500 cards because every card um, they, that you know has like a number out of a set. And so it looks mm-hmm. like including universals and faction cards, there's total of 500 cards for Dire Chasm. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we do have a couple of listener questions um, re- regarding this uh, release. Um, they s- the first one is from Valentine, um, one of our Patreons. What is your honest opinion of the name Direchasm? <laughs> mm-hmm. What do you think? Uh, so it doesn't roll off the tongue like Beast Grave, Nightfall, Shadespire. I guess maybe because dire chasm is, I guess in yeah. is three syllables, right? Or is chasm just yeah. one syllable? I guess it could be two. Yeah, yeah. dire chasm. Well, it's no. It sounds like it's three, right? It sounds like three. It may yeah. be two, but in, in but in function, it's definitely three. And I think that's probably what the like. Also, it kind of just sounds. Meh. Like Beast Grave was like, whoa, what is that? I'm so hyped. And then Night Vault is like, okay, that makes sense. And Shadespire. I mean, people still call this game Shadespire. So, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Uh, personally, I don't know if I could have come up with something better. So I'm not going to hate. Um, yeah. But I will say yeah, that. I mean, out- go ahead. Oh, and I was going to say, depending on what the like the lore is, it may just be the name that makes the most sense. Um, but yeah, it's... Some people have made some jokes about how it's kind of like they're just choosing two words um, at random. And there's been a lot of funny suggestions for what it should have been. Oh, really? Um, yeah, there's a, there was a few things on Facebook like, um, you know, scary closet or like, you know, like <laughs> <laughs> just, just like <laughs> like it's a oh, you know, night ball and then shade spire. So you pick like a, you know, a descriptor and then like a location. So, <laughs> you know, you can you can come up with your favorite alternate if you want but um <clears throat> you know it sort of sounds like a very serious place this diachasm so <laughs> yeah i mean if you look at look at the lore right i mean beast grave the name of a mountain that slowly consumes you and drives you insane in right. the process and uh looks like diachasm so like shadespire so like the night vault was under shadespire so i guess this is a chasm near the beast grave yeah, or maybe it's like, you know, what's at the center of it or something. I mean, there, there's all Ooh. kinds of really cool things that they could do. See, you really were uh, sent here by Marathi. You know everything. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> they don't call me the hag queen for nothing. There you go. Out of <laughs> Ridiculous. <laughs> um, the next question is um, from Patreon Hussman. What do you think of the new boards? We already touched on it a little bit. Um, I think they look cool. I think that the, um, let me find it again. <clears throat> the one on the bottom of the picture has block hexes on the edges, um, which looks pretty cool. And then, uh, also just looks like a pretty neat, um, alternate to that, like a, an aggro board, uh, has some spaces at the, on the edges. And then I can't really see all of the other ones, but it looks like that side's pretty good too. So both of these look like really good boards to put down first, 
which I think is something we kind of lack um, in the main game. So I, I think they look great. Um, I don't think they look as um, like amazing as the amber board does. And I think that's a good thing because I think that board's too good. Um, so I'm generally excited to uh, try them out. Yeah, both of those boards are too good. But looking at the bottom one, the one with the two blocked edge hexes, that's actually really neat where that board is has a printed lethal hex because you actually, if you set both fighters on the front line, your opponent can't put a lethal hex behind either of those fighters uh, in the middle, which I think is pretty neat. So you can actually protect yeah. those fighters by slamming an objective in between those two starting hexes on the left if you're looking at the picture and then the one on the right and you've virtually protected from lethals. That's pretty neat too. Yeah. Yeah. And the art on them is really cool. Like the aesthetic of, I guess what the arena mortis looks like um, is really cool. Like there's like gears and like metal plates and <clears throat> as well as the bones and what looks like some kind of like honeycomb thing. So <clears throat> they look cool. Yeah. Yeah, I like the bones everywhere. Some giant monster end up in the beast grave and just slowly consume. <laughs> I really like how they're leaning into that hex motif too, where like some of the terrain has like hexes coming out of it. So yeah, yeah, and the lethal hexes are like boiling pits of ooze or tar. Looks cool. Cool. Well, um, yeah, I think so. I guess our thoughts are they're cool for Mister Husband. Yeah, I think so. I'm excited to try them. Yeah, very excited. And, uh, you know, we've spent, um, you know, almost 30 minutes just talking about the new releases. <laughs> <laughs> so pretty excited. Um, as And as you can see, we could probably talk about it. But let's jump on to the next segment and let's go to community shout outs. Yeah, so the first community shout out we have is uh, sort of just to everybody. Um, there's been a lot of great reviews on the uh, new warbands and stuff. Um as far as podcasts go, Battle for Salvation um, had an episode about it, the Battlecast. Um, I guess it's not really a podcast, but uh, he has some great videos about it. Battle Mallet did a podcast on it. Um, the Crit Def podcast came out of hiatus to talk about it as well. Um, <clears throat> and then, you know, of course, we have all the articles, ours, and uh, can you roll Crit and all that. So um, lots of good content there. Um, it's one of the things I like about this game. If you know, every time something new comes out, you can really just spend a day reading about it all and you know, picking up everything that you may have missed and stuff. So, yeah. Even though I'll, even though I write one of the reviews, I always like to read the other ones to see uh, other people's perspective and stuff. You know. Yeah, and then save yours for last, right? <laughs> In this case, I, I saved mine for last, so I got to, uh, <laughs> I got to figure out what mistakes I. May have made. Yeah, no, I think we even recorded the uh, the podcast first, so there were a number of just complete misreadings of the cards that I was doing, and <laughs> I got to make sure I didn't put it in my article. <laughs> did you still? Did you rate Absolute Stillness better after that that conversation? By the way, or did you did you still give it a low score? <laughs> um, I think I still. So I gave it a two, but that's only because of how much it requires. Yeah, like I think it requires at least three. Um, quarry cards and probably card draw mm -hmm. but i think right now i'm gonna have all of that anyway so i it is a card that i've been enjoying recently yeah great card um also in terms of podcasts a lot of stuff coming out so if, if you listen to us then i'm sure you're aware of the content we've uh released we dropped a pretty long episode last week or two weeks last week i think it was like three hours we went through every single card 
And then recently, Jonathan was uh, on the latest episode of The Chatting Crit, which is a Steel City Underworlds podcast hosted by Tom Bond and Michael Carlin. And the concept, it's a new series where they just both argue, Tom and Mike, uh, one side of a coin in regards to a particular topic. So this one was, was temporary victory a mistake? Um, I think, personal feelings aside, I thought it was a good episode. Uh, personal feelings in regards to temporary victory. Um, I thought it was a good episode. <laughs> uh, and it was nice to have Jonathan on there. And, uh, you know, they mentioned that you're quite articulate. And I will have to agree. Um, you know, you are one of the uh, most articulate people I know in terms of this game. And so while I'm bumbling on my words, uh, you're making me uh, look a little silly every time. So you did a great job there. And I believe, and you mentioned earlier, you know, a lot of cool stuff. Every time something new drops, well, apparently Davey's coming out of retirement. And he's going to be the oh. next guest on their second episode, which is talking about To the End. So... Big oh, plug there. Cool. Yeah, yeah, big big plug there for Steel City. I'm sure Phil has some feelings about that because he's like, yo, why can't we just record our own episode? <laughs> so, um, Davey, yeah, if I hope li- they're doing well. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Davey, if you're listening, you need to record another episode of What the Hex, please. Thank you. <laughs> absolutely. Um, also, I have been doing some more Twitch streaming recently. I played um, three games um, last Saturday against Valentine. Um, that was a lot of fun. We played two of the Daughters versus Crushes, and then we played um, Daughters versus Grimwatch. Um, so those are all a lot of fun. And uh, I'm going to be playing a game against Matt tonight and uh, just be doing more in general. If you want to set up a cam game sometime, let me know and we can try to schedule it. So happy to get uh, you know as many people as want to do it for the most part. Yeah, I logged on. And was like trolling you, but you didn't respond. So. <laughs> yeah, it is a little bit hard to respond to all the comments, um, but uh, do what I can. <laughs> I think I did respond to you. It was probably just a few minutes later. So. Oh yeah, I did. I'm sure you knew it was me, but uh, I did. Yeah, I did yeah. want to just show. I was. That's, that's my way of showing support. <laughs> yeah, appreciate um, it. He. Uh, I forget what you said. I think it was. I forget what it was. I think it was that I was cheating or something. <laughs> so <laughs> I wasn't cheating. There was one game where I lose by like 20 glory though. So uh, hey, man. look forward to that. <laughs> That's karma. Karma for cheating. Yeah. You had queen. Yeah. Um, uh, cool. Well, uh, you know, lots of great content as Jonathan mentioned earlier. And of course, um, it's nice to see some people kind of come back where, especially the battle cast and, uh, Crit, de- crit death this guy's uh you know battlecast is a lot of con- content all over but crit death guys came back out of sabbatical and hopefully they stick around for a little bit so uh more content the better let's jump to some competitive events uh jonathan i know you've got a couple to share um yeah there's just two mainly um, we've talked a little bit about the online event coming up um on september 13th i think um so looking forward to that i think it's going to be the main uh, the first large event anyway um, with the new warbands and stuff so that'll be fun um, there's also going to be a cam game event um, on the straight out of Shadespire series um, I think they're on Facebook and stuff you can find them there um, and that's actually ran by Valentine so or Valentine rather um, <clears throat> so that was one of the reasons that we played so I could uh, make sure I had my setup ready and I may try to wake up 
uh, for that event as well. <laughs> it starts kind of early on Saturday, but that's on the 29th. So um, looking forward to that. I may I think I'm going to be playing my Magors a lot. For some reason, I've uh, had that itch recently. So, um, But I think that's all I have for events. Um, let's go to the next section. Yeah. Uh, did, did you mention the uh, online event coming up on the 13th or the 14th? I'm sorry. Did you start with that one? Or? Yeah. Okay, that cool. was what I started with. Sorry. Yeah, okay. Yeah, cool, cool. No, I, just a quick shout out to, um, I believe, Jimmy Molini, who's running that event. He's TOing it. So that yeah. should be pretty exciting. And it's the fourth big event through this community Discord. And I think it's going to be a lot of fun, a lot of great players. So definitely sign up. Um, you're some world-class content and competitors, and you're going to have a great time. Yeah, yeah. I didn't mean to skip over it. Um, they've all been great, and I'm looking forward to it. Yep. Absolutely. So uh, as you mentioned, we've got some listener questions. So um, we've got a lot of questions, and as of course, I'm sure it uh, has to do with the fact that we've got new warbands and, and new content announced for the game. So our first question is from one of our patrons, Cole WG. And he asked this question on Discord about the first blade. So question. If your opponent can make sure the fighter with this only has one HP going into the first activation, you can lose an activation since the fighter just dies, which can be a big downside. So more of a comment than a question. Um, Jonathan, yeah. what do you think about that interaction? Yeah, I think that's a good point that we um, sort of probably skipped over uh, when it comes to the curse blade. Uh, I could see that as an interesting strategy if you have a way to ping that fighter down. It does force the other player to lose their whole activation just having that fighter die. So um, it'll be interesting to see you know, how reliably you're able to do that. Um, but yeah, that would, really, <laughs> that would really be bad if that happened to you. <laughs> yeah, that'd be wild. Now, so now that you know, or I guess we're more aware of this, uh, this interaction, are you ever risking putting this in your deck? Um, I think I still might. It's hard. I think, well, like we talked about, it's hard because it's competing with how good the uh, Amber Bone weapons are. But I think that if I was going to take it, I would take it on a very small fighter. And I guess I would just hope that they can't just do one damage to it. But uh, it could happen. Yeah. Could happen. <laughs> the next question is from Compaq on our Patreon Discord. Um, with the coming of Season 4 and hopefully the beginning of in-person games again... What do you guys think is the state of the game and the community? In particular, I'm keen to hear your thoughts on what we can do to grow the community. I think we all agree we love this game. And he did the winky face. And I would only benefit from, or in, and it would only benefit from more players playing and reducing the churn of existing players. Um, probably key questions are how do we reach new players? What are the main barriers to new players? And what causes existing players to stop? How can we address these? Yeah, I think that's a great question. Solid question. Um, probably start with the more recent part of that question, which is, um, you know, how do we reach new players? What are the main barriers? I think one of the, the biggest barriers for this game in general, and, and I'd love to get your input on this as well, because I, I, we were actually discussing this maybe yesterday or even this morning, actually. Um, I didn't realize this question was here, but um, it's interesting. If you want to start the game at Dire Chasm, right, which is in December, you would, in theory, in order to be competitive, right, which that may not be your goal, but if it is, and you want to go attend events and, and compete with your friends and your community and your environment, then you'll probably have to buy all of these grid, 
and yeah. maybe some things, maybe like a warband or two that you really like from my vault. Um, and, and that right there is like upwards of... If you can even buy Night Vault. If, if you can even buy Night Vault, exactly, good point. And so that right there is like, what, 200, 250 bucks? You know, it's like 30. Probably more like 300 at full price, but yeah. Yeah. Probably get it for 250. Yeah, so you're spending... So, I mean, and if you look at some of the bigger games that Games Workshop, right, like, like if you want to get that Indominus box set, I don't know, that was like one, that was like 200 maybe? Um, yeah. Right, so like, but in that in that box you get two one thousand point armies and the rules like hardbound leather rulebook and everything in there, and so I guess my question is like you know obviously the games are very different, but if you if you're trying to get someone into a game workshop game, and it's like buy this one starter set and you have enough to play two armies, and you need everything to play the game and there's some great you know follow up uh, products to add to your existing collection. Um, then you're probably going to do that. It's just more economic. And I think that's one of the challenges with Warhammer Underworlds is there's nothing that's comprehensive or cohesive. Like, I would love if there was something that at the end of every season, you know, you don't necessarily have to buy every Warbands or at the beginning of every new season, but they just dump some of, like, you know, like a card pack that has all the universals from the previous season, every single one. Um, yeah. And you can, they can budget at whatever they want. But that way, you can get that pack. You can get all the Underworlds models you need from the new season, or you can pick and choose, and and that would be a significant reduction in buried entry, I think, right? Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think that for new players, it's a lot of the time it's not even just about the money. Um, like, if we use Beastgrave as an example, um, you know, the starter box is a pretty good deal, I think. And then, But if you actually really want to get into the game and you want to play competitively... Um, which I, I feel like it's probably worth noting that it's not always a requirement to play competitively. But if you have a local group and they're playing competitively, then you, if you want to be able to win games at all, you pretty much have to, you know, be on the same level as them. Um, you basically have to buy, you know, all of the current season and then eight war bands from the previous season. And for a new player, you know, even though, you know, I think the models are great and I think that the, I think that it's probably worth the money that you're spending because the models are great and the game's a lot of fun. Um, I think it's a lot of like, it's a lot to learn. Um, you're only going to be able to play one warband at a time, at least with like the Indominus box or whatever. You can play all of those models at one time if you want to as well. So I, I think part of the problem is that we're wanting people to buy 10 warbands at a time and that's going to take them a really long time to uh, actually use any of like all of that. You know, they may never, they may never use it all. Um, I mean, I have warbands right now that I've only played probably a few times. <laughs> it's because I have so many of them. Um, so I don't know, maybe they can experiment with the model in some way um, in the future. Um, I don't think there's any problem. Like, I don't mind. Uh, like, I think if you're, once you start and once you have everything, it's actually pretty easy to buy stuff as it comes out. I don't have a problem with that. But I've had trouble getting new players to really dive in. Um, and catch up and then learn everything. I mean, uh, you know, this game is pretty complex. I think it probably took me about six months to get up to speed. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't know, I don't personally know very many people that, um, you know, I've locally been able to encourage to do that. So um, we have a pretty good group where we, you know, we did before the quarantine and everything. And I'm sure we'll have a small group of dedicated players once we're able to get in-person games again. But uh, it's just not the easiest game 
to get into. So I would definitely like to see them work on that a little bit. And because uh, anything we can do to get more people seems like a good thing to me. Yeah, I completely agree. I didn't even really think about how long it takes just to learn the game effectively. You know, like it took me like three, four months before I went to like Adepticon. And so when I was really started putting a lot of energy into the game before and, and before that I was playing it even casually, but not really giving yeah. it much strategic thought. And like, you know, we have some people who have been playing like Warbands for two years straight, right? And then we yeah. have other people who kind of like hop around Warbands and stuff, but like to fully learn a Warband and all of its nuances and, and things like that, it, it takes time. And then for someone to say, oh yeah, go ahead and, and get this game. By the way, you need to go buy eight different factions. And then this new box set comes with two factions. You have ten warbands. Like, that'll take you a year just to, like, master all ten of them, right? Well, and, and not to mention the fact that when we started, like, when you started, I think there were six warbands. When I started, there were ten. So, you know, I learned what those ten did, and then I've learned one warband at a time for the next, you know, year or so. And it, so, it's you know, it's been pretty easy to build on that information. We just hit 26 warbands. And so to tell a new player that they have to understand all of that um, that's quite an undertaking. <laughs> Sometimes I feel like I have like a associate's degree in this game, you know, the time that I've spent on it. <laughs> yeah. So. I mean, but, but I also think that's true for, for Age of Sigmar or Warhammer 40,000 or Kill Team, yeah. right? It's like, you know, you might never really play against someone who runs this particular unit in Beast of Chaos and then one day they run it and you're like, I don't even know what this does, right? Um, that's so, true. So like yep. prepping for that, I think it is important. But I will admit that for a game that's designed to be quick, easy, competitive, uh, and I guess because it's competitive, you must do your research. Um, I, th- I guess, you know, obviously there's some limitations, but uh, overall, like if you're willing to take the plunge, and uh, and this kind of goes back to answering the first part of this question, Compact, is um, I think the state of the game is great given the lockdown and given quarantine, right? I mean, we have yeah. a community that is regularly seeing 40, 60 man events online. You know, we have leagues that are running. We have conversations that are going. We have content that is created and consumed. So I think the game is in a great place with the existing player base, right? The existing community. Um, Whether, you know, you mentioned churn, whether we're churning players or not, I think every game you see will experience some sort of churn because of lockdown. Because we play tabletop miniature games. And the whole point is to play these games on the tabletop with other people. And you can't really do that. So uh, online substitutions are great to an extent. But I think once the lockdowns are over, I think we'll see those communities grow and and perhaps even surge, right? Because people finally want to get out and play games with their friends and their community members. Um, I think in order to reduce churn, I think, you know, Games Workshop has to do a little bit of fan service. And it seems like they're doing that. I mean, Arena Mortis... Right, like you know, historically, people yeah. have complained about buying a single board, buying a single pack of cards, and then like white dwarf games that they may not have access to. Well, they just put it all in one box. I mean, that's that's fan service, that's player service, right? And then they finally put more elves in the game, which I guess Lumineth are pretty new, so a lot of other. I mean, I guess <laughs> Lanesh had that waited their while, but you know, yeah. Slanesh is in the game. We've got lizard men coming, so I mean, like they're doing a lot of the right things, right? Like these are people; these are things people have been wanting since the first month of Shadespire. And now, yeah, that's true. you know, we're getting all this stuff back and the models look amazing from what we've seen so far. So I think, I think the game will be in a good place from like a community standpoint, from a competitive standpoint. 
I think that remains to be seen. I think there were a lot of ups and downs associated with season three. So, um, yeah, you know, people are always going to play the game. People are always going to want to compete. Um, but hopefully, like with the addition of new cards and new warbands and maybe, you know, more stringent, far less, uh, the game can be in a very healthy state year round. Yeah, and I guess I would say that you know a lot of the a lot of the stuff when it comes to the communities locally, um, I think any one person can have a lot of impact in that. If like you're somewhere local and you have new people that are interested and they pick up the starter set, then you should probably make some you know pretty basic decks that use very similar you know card choices or a lot of faction cards, things like that. Um, I think some of the alternate game modes like the Gargant mode or the you know probably arena mortis um, that can be probably a good way to get people interested and sort of hooked uh, maybe you can play new war bands that people haven't played against before and kind of show them how it works um, you know i think you i think it's a good idea to encourage like proxying cards that people don't have yet um, and really just doing everything you can to kind of foster um, you know the new people that do want to get into it so um, i think there are definitely ways um, that you could make it work yeah absolutely easier for people hundred percent. Um, let's jump to our next question from another one of our patrons. Uh, actually, the same one of our earlier patrons, uh, Paul WG again. Um, what gameplay do you think would be best suited to Blade Coven, Jonathan? Um, yeah, so far I've been enjoying Blade Coven with um, a mostly aggro playstyle. Uh, I think I have Hidden Purpose in there. I think I have their card for it's an end phase card, one glory for having a fighter with a charge token holding an objective. Um, but I'm running Keep Chopping. Um, uh, actually, I made a deck guide for it on Will of Power. So if you want to look at all the cards, it's there. But um, just basically aggro. I like how you can throw a couple upgrades on most of the fighters and they can you know, usually one shot or um, at least take a big chunk out of most fighters' health. And uh, uh, they're, they're pretty fun. I, I think you could probably play them quasi-hold objective as well, but they don't, they're not very durable. So I think it's important for them to take out some powerful enemies as early as possible. Um, so I think that's why I would stick with aggro. What do you think, Amon? Yeah, um, so I, I would 100% echo your sentiments, and, and to be succinct, I completely agree. Um, I'm, I've seen some quarry builds that, like, you know, they flex in the quarry a little yeah. bit. You know, we talked about absolute stillness a little bit. Crypto Companion is great to help kind of keep that glory up. I really like Carverun. Um, I kind of rated it low, but after just playing with it, um, you'd be surprised how often you do roll crits. Um, and so uh, getting an extra, spe- even if it's spent glory for just rolling a crit on attack all this period. So uh, I think they're better than what people gave them credit for. But I think, you know, as, as I mentioned in my article, they're a surgical aggro. You can't just willy-nilly charge. you got to really plan your turns out in advance. You have to anticipate what your enemy's going to do and hopefully your dice hit. Yeah. Yeah, I played a game... Um, against Grimwatch and missed like I think four attacks in a row and that was kind of the whole game right there. <laughs> yeah, I just needed to get them off of an objective and couldn't do it. Um, so that was unfortunate. But I've played other games where you know they all hit and it's great. Um, I do think that you know some of those control elements with the quarry stuff and the cryptic companion are probably more reliable. Um, so I could see that working. I just wish they had more wounds if I'm being honest, but. Uh... Yeah, yeah, or maybe a couple of them with more dodge or something. They're just they're so squishy. I, yeah, I think I would have been fine with <clears throat> two wounds. 
if everyone had to dodge. Yeah. I mean, I did get Morgwaith souped up in one of the games and, uh, you know, great strength, glory seeker. Um, you know, I think she ended up killing like two crushes, you know, in two activations. I had a jealous defense, but it missed. Um, so the potential's there. Um, I just don't know how consistent it is. It's. I also played a game against Nurgle, and man, that's a nightmare matchup because the damage gets reduced, and they're just so tough. It's hard to get your first kill. It's it's just a real pain. But uh, um, they're they're fun warband so far. I just, you know not every warband is going to be tip top competitive, but they're all a fun puzzle to figure out. Yeah, and you know just because a warband doesn't necessarily do well in the current iteration of the game doesn't mean it can't be better in the future. So maybe with Sarcasm, yeah. you know, which helps will be really good. Yeah, probably. Um, the next question is from Patreon Hussman. What do you think about control play in the current meta? Uh, I played a game with uh, Hussman and he was playing Steelhearts. Uh, it was interesting to see um, him try to get that worked working. It was uh, a lot of going on guard and uh, I think he was running Absolute Stillness and um, a few other control elements. Um, it's not really my style of play. Um, I think it might be able to work. I think weirdly, um, like Magors do the and Nurgle do the standout objectives, and then like uh, Steadfast Defender and Over My Dead Body. I think they do that style of sort of guard and hold objectives better, which is what he was trying to do. Um, but I think uh, I think there is control play right now. What do you, what do you think? Yeah, yeah. So I think it's it's a pretty it's a pretty tough question. But I enjoy some of these loaded questions for sure. Um, <laughs> so thank you, Brandon, for asking that. Um, so I think the, the the best way to start this question is to you know kind of to define what control is, right? And so control is um, essentially stimming your opponent's ability to follow their game plan, whether that's through disruption through um, avoidance or some sort of other um, ability, right? And then scoring glory passively just enough to stay ahead. And then maybe, you know, having a big third end face card that you're working towards or something along those lines. So I would, I would like call like Feed the Beast Grave like a control deck because you are disruption and a specific game plan. Um, and so I think a lot of the biggest control elements right now in this game revolve around tomes, lost pages. Uh, now recently, mm-hmm. Avatar, the Avatar Risen. Yeah, yeah. Um, we have To the End, which is a staple on almost every control deck. So, so there's two ways that you can go about this question. Um, from a game perspective, I think because this is a competitive card card miniature game, a miniature card game, and you know the whole point is to play to win in 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 the most basic sense, not necessarily literally, but the most basic sense of the way the game functions finding these decks that don't necessarily have to interact with your opponent but can still passively outscore them i think are very valid and you most certainly can do that if you want to i will agree that it's not necessarily my style of play um and personally i'm not a fan of oppressive control right i think control is is i think control objective aggro probably healthy um i don't think hot take I don't think control can exist in a universal format. I don't think you need to, I don't think Games Workshop should be like printing universal control cards um, because in this meta, I think it is a bit um, strong, stronger than it needs to be. 
I think, you know, warbands should be designed to be control. And that way you can play a certain warband and they have key strengths and weaknesses that can be exploited. But when you have, like one of the first games I played was somebody took three crushes, stacked tomes and avatar, hit on purpose, now what, calculated risk, won the board, max offset me, and, and you know, amber molten shard pit me. And it's like, it's already a severe disadvantage, right, to anybody losing the board state and then not being able to interact. You're going to take a turn just to get to your opponent. You spend the first third of the game trying to engage with your opponent. In the meantime, your opponent is just drawing cards, scoring passively. And again, it's a valid strategy. I don't, I don't think it's a good one. Uh, or not necessarily good, but healthy. Um, there needs to be limitations on it. Um, I'm hoping that there are limitations placed on it because uh, I personally don't want to play a game where people just sit in the corner and draw cards. And I'm not really sure if you do either, right, Jonathan? I mean, like, the whole point is to, like, yeah, you want to tactically outplay one another and find strategies that are are not broken but powerful, in, in, you know, in, in, in an environment. But, like, I'm playing a game to play with you. Um, <laughs> and sometimes I feel like control is not playing with you. They're playing by themselves, and you have the misfortune of trying to play with them, but they won't let you. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I mean, if you look at what you just said was the definition of control, I don't feel like decks like the one you just described are actually even doing that. The Tomes Avatar build isn't stopping me from doing my plan. It's just winning whether or not I'm there on the board or not. Like like the weird thing about the way I see control and I mean maybe we're just maybe we just don't see it correctly. Um, the way I see control should be that I have to stop you from doing your plan in order to win. So like the default should be that you would win unless I'm able to control you in some way. Right. Um, I feel like a lot of these builds are if you just leave me over here I'm going to score a bunch of glory and not let you do anything really. Um, and I don't feel like that's, I mean, to me, that isn't that much fun. And I think if we look at, you know, the way that um, people have, like the Games Workshop has described how control play is supposed to work, it doesn't seem like this is it. And, you know, I think we can kind of tell they've, you know, they've nerfed magic so you can't just sit in the back and cast spells into the air. Um, they nerfed the tome so you can't just sit in the back and do that. And then, but, you know, for some reason, they they uh, they also keep printing tomes and they keep printing pages and they keep printing avatars. Um, so it's interesting to like I, I would be very curious what, um, you know, someone who is passionate about control existing, which it seems like the game designers are. Um, I wonder what a healthy version of that looks like, because I'm not actually sure if we've ever seen it outside of maybe like. You know, I guess you could say Nurgle with a lot of pushes and objective destruction that also kind of has to go aggro. Um, I would consider that control probably because it's fighting you, but it's not giving up glory and it's fighting you, but it's not letting you stand on objectives, but it's still very interactive. I would consider that control. Yeah. But what people call turtle control, I actually just consider that like almost like a hack to the way the game is supposed to work. Like, the, you know, there's a, it's a great combination. Um and it wins games, but it's not, I don't feel like it's in the spirit of a arena combat game. Like what I think is, this is supposed to be. Yeah. 
I mean, so, so it's a good point. There's a lot of great points there that I almost agree with every single one of them, right? Like, and for the for the players who enjoy control, who like finding those busted combinations and and quote unquote breaking the game, like that's awesome. Like, I'm really happy that you find enjoyment doing that. Like, that's the whole point of trying to be competitive is finding strategies and synergies that are better than your opponents. But fundamentally, I don't think we've ever seen a healthy control. Uh, deck in this game period you know like relic steel hearts nerfed tome mala <laughs> nerfed um turtle you know and, and the, i think turtle control is is kind of like a is like i think that's an excuse like turtle control is control right like if if, if control is is just if you want to sit in the back and not do anything draw cards and score passively then that that's just control and, and i don't really see Aside from, you know, Wormstat and in the past Eyes of the Nine, who in theory try, and then they have a glaring weakness, which is why I think they're such a great control warband. They have really crappy fighters yeah. who die easily. That's awesome. But like, there are always great players who do really well with Eyes of the Nine, and, it, and all of their decks are control, right? Because that's the optimal way yeah. to play them. So I think that that's. And they perfect. may flex a little bit. I mean, to me, I almost feel like. You know, maybe I don't actually understand control because when I think of like I think maybe my Nova deck was sort of control because against aggro I would kind of you know fall back and make them come to me and then fight them and then against objectives I would have to be the aggressor um, so to me you know in that deck my plan was to mess up your plan so to me that's control so um, I disagree there yeah because um, the deck that you took to Nova and the deck that profiteers generally play. Um, the, yeah. the, there are a couple choice. Like I think one step ahead is a control card. I think that's great. Um, you mentioned that it didn't really work out, uh, and I remember you did take that card. But you know, you're still interacting with your opponent. Like you still fought people. Right. You still rolled dice. You still had to get aggressive. You still missed attacks that you needed, and that is still an arena combat game. Having the ability to flex into aggro or defensive is just good deck design. You made a good deck, you know, like, and you and you right, right, you know. But like, I wouldn't have said that it was an aggro deck, and it definitely wasn't a hold objective deck. But, so would you say it was a me, flex deck? Yeah, I would say it was like maybe a control aggro flex because I did have you know cards in there to mess up the enemy game plan. Um, but you know, maybe that's what I mean. Like, I mean, to me, that is control. Um, but I don't think. I'm not sure if that's the definition. I mean, and I think that fits your definition. Um, but I'm not sure if that fits. I don't think that fits anything like what we've ever, you know, what we've seen be very problematic. Yeah. I, I will question though. Like when you say mess up the enemy game plan. Yeah. Like how, how did you do that? Cause, cause like you, you're taking like lethal ward, Shargale and all that. Right. I mean, that's um, just killing I think the those opponent. Those are my only damage cards. Um, I mean, so so basically, the way that it would work, as particularly in that meta, was you know against the aggro things like Molog and Godsworn Hunt, I would be very passive. I would score, you know, keep them guessing. I would score, you know, maybe cover ground. I would score the very easy to score cards while they came at me, and I would try to avoid losing fighters. And then against the objective war bands like Thorns of the Briar Queen or Gits, I would go aggressive and try to kill their fighters. So. Cool. Well, but 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 is that control or are you just deciding who's the beatdown, right? Because in those because because that's what you did. Is like, am I the beatdown or am I not the beatdown? 
and then you react accordingly. As someone who's played profiteers a lot, like I've played aggro profiteers and then just turtled in my side of the board while Magors ran at me. And like, you can call that control or you can call that I'm not the beat down. Right. So I guess there's a, there's a difference. Like, are you, are you determining that beat down, defining who the beat down is, is control or is it just, um, I, I understand that you had like, Cards that you just had to draw to score, right? Like that is a challenge. Every deck can do that. Every archetype can do that. And I don't want to make this a an, a, <laughs> an argument, but I guess I'm just saying is like from what you're explaining to me, it just sounds like you were just trying to figure out who the beatdown was, and then your game plan was, you know, to beat down or to avoid getting beat down. And I think you do that with any warman. Like I'll play aggro wild hunt, and if I match up into Rippas, I'll let them come to me um, because they're the yeah. beatdown. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's true, but you still have to kill people to win. I don't necessarily have to do that. Um, sure. So, I mean, this may be a topic for another episode, honestly. I think yeah. we could probably hash this out. Um, I think it's a really interesting conversation. I mean, I, I mean, I guess if, if we're saying that control is only hiding in the back, scoring passively and not caring what the other person does at all, then I don't know if I think that should be in the game. I, I don't um, think it should at all and I've been very vocal about that right but if if you're what you open the conversation with as your definition of control I think that should be in the game agreed I think if you can if, if Games Workshop created a warband that was designed to disrupt and annoy and frustrate your opponent but still be accessible and still have a weakness that could be exploited upon but if the part right. if the player controlling that warband outplayed their opponent or maybe just got a little bit lucky, then I think that's fine. That's fair. But to just find a broken piece of combinations of cards that clearly weren't intended to play that way, and the reason we can make a statement like that is because we've received the intent of some of those designers through interviews and through previous far lists, right? Like there was a deck that right. just sat in the back and spammed in power. It got nerfed right. like, like less than <laughs> less than fourteen days later. It was nerfed. So, Games Workshop doesn't like oppressive control, and I think, and and maybe the right phrase is turtle control. Maybe the only version of control we've seen in this game, aside from Eyes and Nurgle, is turtle control. And I don't agree that turtle control should exist in this game. Period. But control should. Right. Yeah, and I think anytime you know they have gotten rid of the turtle control, we'll still. I mean, you know, I think we've probably made curse breaker decks that are like power up and then fight when they're ready. I almost consider that like to be erring towards control. You know what I mean? Um, but it's definitely not anything like the problematic stuff that we've seen in the past. So um, let's move on, I think. But, uh, you know, maybe we'll write this down as a uh, future episode. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm sure the Steel City guys have some stuff to say about it. So. Oh, yeah. Mike, uh-huh. Mike is probably like. Rolling on the hyperventilating floor. right now while listening to this. To this yeah. uh, Mike, if you're <laughs> yeah. listening, uh, we love squ- you. <laughs> yeah, so we love you first of all, but I'm more than happy to square up with you about control in this game anytime. So let me know. Um, I got some thoughts <laughs> to share. Next question. They, they should have a podcast where they talk about unpopular and popular opinions. Almost, dude. I, I'm telling you right now, Mike. If, <laughs> if you're not scared, Mike and Tom, I challenge you. Is uh, is control good for the game? And I'd love to hear your dun, dun, opinions. Dun. And I'd love to I'd love to come on there. So let me know. Um, uh, aside from throwing down the gauntlet, 
Um, <laughs> this is from Yhe on Discord. What cards do you think will or should go on the next restricted list? Uh. I saw that smile. You want me to go first? Yeah, I asked you, man. I feel like I've been talking for a while. Okay. Go for it. I've got a list, um, of course, but let's see I would it. say based on the based on the games that I've seen that I've played so far, um, I think Hidden Purpose definitely needs to go on there. Um, I think the two new Amber Bones are probably worth restricting. Um, I think Strength of Terror is probably worth restricting. Um, what else is there? So I agree. I agree with all of those except yeah. Amber. You said two. You said two Amber Bone weapons. I'm assuming uh, the yeah, mace and th- the sword. Yeah, I think the mace and the sword are both worth uh, a slot. So I think the mace is. I don't think the sword is. Um, yeah, I could see that. Yeah, I, th- I, I, I think I, that if you, I think if you don't take if you don't hit either one, then um, I think that a lot of people will just take both. Um, if you hit one of them, then people probably just take the one you don't hit, and then maybe they take the second one. I just think they're both incredibly, incredibly good. Um, and that if you hit them both, maybe you'd see one of them sometimes. Yeah. But I don't know. I, I would say at least one of them, probably. I, um, I, I think the mace is technically better. So. Yeah, I think the, the sword is lesser of two evils. Um, but still, like, yeah. as you mentioned, if you if you hit the mace, I just take the dagger and the sword. If you hit the sword, I just take the mace and the dagger or the spear, you know, depending on my matchup, so. Um, or my warband selection, rather. So. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess really it's going to depend on, you know, just because everybody is taking it or a lot of people are taking it, is it a problem? I mean, I think we know the Gits love the Amberbone weapons. I'm a little terrified of Gits with um, Mace and Sword and Spear. I don't know if... It, I guess we'll have to see if it's, like, meta-breaking. But I, I don't think I it's th- meta-breaking, can... but it's definitely good. Yeah. Yeah, it's, you know, anytime we get new cards, I feel like the, like, I don't really think there's a, like, an exact tier list, but, you know, the the competitiveness of all the warbands kind of, like, stratifies a little bit farther away from each other. Like, the ceiling is higher and the floor is lower. Um, and I feel like, I feel like the cards that I mentioned, you know, kind of help that happen. Um, I think we have to see what you know, the best combination. I think some of the control stuff you mentioned probably needs to get hit as well. Oh yeah. I got some, um, I got some cards for sure. Oh, quick search is another one I think needs to get hit. Quick yeah. Search. Yeah. yeah. Because right now the card draw is ridiculous. You can take one restricted and then quick search and a natural truce and just get your whole deck out, um, which is really silly. Um, and it's an auto to the end, which is silly. Yeah. I mean, at this point, I don't even know if you need to the end because you have the, uh, the avatar, avatar and, the avatar risen, which yeah. is one card that you didn't mention that I would like to restrict. If I if I had any say in it, I would yeah. I would say, you know, I think the avatar risen should be on there. I think absolute stillness has a has a case. Um, not necessarily yeah, sure. I could see that. It's just kind of. I think it depends. Right now, the strength of terror is kind of an auto include. Yeah. And so, like, if you can fit the slot for cryptic companion, and then maybe you take. Uh, the hidden presence hidden one. Presence. Yeah, th- then that's a great combo. Um, yeah. For one restricted slot, I think it's really great on anyone that's trying to be kind of passive or anyone that's going to be on objectives anyway. Um, one strength of terror. Like if, if you hit strength of terror, maybe it's not a problem anymore. The other quarries are kind of questionable, but um, 
I guess we'd have to see it. So, I don't know. I, I, um, those would be my obvious ones. What do you, are there any other ones that I didn't mention? Yeah. So the Avatar Risen for sure. Um, I think Hunter's Talisman is really good on Hrothgorn. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So giving him. Oh, yeah. And you mentioned the Avatar. Um, uh, Gora has been writing some guest articles for me on uh, Will of Power. Mm-hmm. And, he, and he mentioned that he would have liked to see the Avatar require you to be in enemy territory. Oh, yeah. And that would have that would have fixed that whole thing. That would have fixed, yeah, that would have fixed that card 100%. <laughs> then it's not control. Yeah. Well, it, it is a form of control, but it's you still have high risk, high reward, which I like that. I like that a lot. Um, yeah, because annoyingly with that card, it's really the best if you're not using any of those upgrades. You're just tacking it on for three glory. Yeah, yeah, it's three, glo- it's three upgrade slots for three glory, which anyone would take any time of the day. Um, yeah, basically. I am also thinking that, so obviously Prussian Blow probably needs to get errated or forsaken because oh. <laughs> that, yeah. that card is silly. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, yeah that's kind of broken right now. Yeah, yeah. And then, uh, I don't know, I'd probably like to see Inured to Pain for the Crushes since factions are on the table now. Um, I think oh, minus yeah. one damage to all uh, wounds is a little tough. Considering they start, with I would five. definitely still take it with them. So to me, that's like the litmus test of whether or not something should be restricted. Yeah, um, I definitely still take it. So I think we have to see exactly how powerful they are, especially if they did hit some of the more passive strategies. If they're forced to go aggro, I don't think I think they're amazingly powerful. But I would still take that under to pain card. Yeah, I mean, I think if if you're forced to go aggro, you load up on movement and accuracy. You still have two fighters that do three damage off the bat. It's not. It's not yeah, like bad. Exactly. Obviously, the control element, as everyone has already noticed, um, is the better option, right? It's just easier, and uh, you know, yeah, they ironically have a lot of synergy, like orc cunning and things like that, that really tie into it. Um, but yeah, I would, I would maybe look at an ear to pain. You mentioned hidden purpose. That's one of my top. I maybe show of force. It's just so easy. But maybe it's one of those cards like fired up where everyone takes it. Not sure yet. Um, yeah, and, annoyingly, I keep drawing it in my first round, and it's kind of hard to score sometimes, or it's like inadvertently inconvenient. Like some warbands, you want to charge three times into enemy territory, but sometimes you don't. So I've I found that one. I've been mixed on that one. When you draw it late in the game and you just have somebody with three upgrades, it's kind of silly. But I don't think I've played a game where both me and my opponent haven't scored that card. Um, it's yeah, it's scored every game. Um, do you think you'd take it if it was restricted? I don't think I would. No, I think if that card is restricted, it's in a tough spot. I mean, obviously, it's yeah. maybe great for like a Tome or Avatar or a Tome Avatar build. Um, so, I don't know. I mean, it may be, actually. Yeah, if I'm if I'm running Tome, Avatar, Hrothgorn, um, what am I restricted? I have Acolyte, Southern Growth. No, you don't even need that. You have Acolyte. Is your only restricted card, and then is that only mandatory restricted card, right? You don't really need anything else. You probably take yeah, tough and hide, or maybe unnatural. Right. What's it? Was it uh, cunning where you just play three power cards? 
So. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the, the problem is that it's going to compete with other surges that are already restricted. So you're not going to take that instead of temporary victory. You're not going to take it instead of um, his play three cards card. So, I mean, you know, it may just be a card that's too good to not be restricted, but is not quite worth taking once it is restricted. Um, I think we have to see. Yeah, I think so. Uh, aside from that, um, I, I don't know. Like, I, I've just got my eye on a couple <laughs> cards. Um, some might be not popular with you guys, but Tunnel Glories is one that I think is is really good. Hmm. And uh, I'm also really tired of playing against Tomes, again, for the reasons in the previous question. I just don't think it's healthy or fun, really, for my opponent or myself, honestly. Um, but yeah. uh, So that's just something I'm looking at. And then, you know, maybe the Scattered Tome, which I think is the least, it's the, it's the, it's the weakest defender on the list, right? If you want to look at control, I think Avatar and Tomes are always going to be up there. Uh, and the Scattered Tome, which just goes in the Lost Pages, I think is something interesting. Um, and I would, yeah, but I haven't seen it become oppressive. I think it could be, right? given that you could do Lost Pages Avatar. Yeah, and I mean, you've tried to do um, Lost Pages and To the End before, um, and it worked pretty well. I mean, yeah, it was, it was, I scored a lot of the end to the end every game and right. scattered tone. And I was doing it with Wild Hunt, which has like the, one of the worst wizards ever. Right. You know, imagine if, you yeah, could, they're not the best at it. <laughs> imagine <laughs> if you're doing it with Othari, who has objective destruction, right. so she can tech into that. And same with the Curse Breakers. I mean, like a, a, uh, an Othari or a Curse Breaker on guard with six wounds or five wounds with Eldritch Ward yeah. and then a bunch of random upgrades I, with the ability to heal through one of the tomes or, or lost pages even is, is silly. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's really just a question when it comes to game design, if you want a valid strategy to be, you know, sit in the back, destroy objectives, play cards, score glory. And, you know, that's how you get your glory total and that's how you win the game um, versus some of the other strategies. So, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see um, what it ends up as. Let's go to the next question um, from Wathlab on Discord. Um, it's a pretty big question. With the last two warbands, we've had a series of new cards, namely Hidden Purpose and Glorious Triumph, that strongly favor what could be called the Hold 2 Objective Approach. Now, these cards, with Path to Victory and Supremacy and Temporary Victory to a certain extent, um, with these players will be able to score reliable passive glory even when they only have two objectives on their side. Of course, this new scoring window is really interesting for aggro and flex and non-horde warbands and to amplify the importance of objective tokens, which seems to be a good idea, but I'd be really curious to hear your thoughts about the impact of these cards on the meta and on the way the game is played as a whole. Do you think that they weaken the importance of the board role by making the three objective choice much less desirable. The main risk would be a return to Shadespire rules de facto because losing the board roll off would mean having three objectives most of the time uh, because of the advantage of placing the boards, I guess. Um, hmm, that's really interesting. I definitely have some thoughts on that. What do you think? Yeah. So first of all, definitely forgot that that was a thing in Shadespire. Um, <laughs> where like, you know, yeah. Yeah, whoever won and you, you know, you'd want to lose boards when you're playing objectives. Because uh, it wasn't a choice back then. Um, I, I most certainly think this does slightly undermine the, the board role choice. Um, you can win if you if you've got. So the thing is, is you have to have a kill, 
and for and you have to have the card in your hand, right? So those are two mm-hmm. big ifs. And then not only after for glorious you, triumph, for glorious triumph, and not only that. Yeah. Once so yeah so so number one, you need a fighter that makes a kill. You react with glorious triumph, and then that fighter stays alive until the end of the round. So um, I think if you look at the gold standard for objective is Thorns of the Briar Queen. Can Thorns mm-hmm. of the Briar Queen win the board roll off? Uh, molten Shard Pit offset. Camp two objectives. And then kill somebody with the queen? Uh, yeah, absolutely they can. Right? I mean, a lot of the time that's what you do, what you do, what you were doing in January. Yeah, yeah. When I was at LVO, I was playing Thorns of the Briar Queen, and that's literally what I did. It's like, all right, you're playing aggro, cool. I'll just sit in the back. I'll eventually draw a sudden appearance or Fainway Crystal, and I'll get my third objective. Um, and you know, back then you had restless prize too, but um, or more often, <laughs> still yeah. a really good card. I think that's probably worth taking. Absolutely, I think that you win the objective battle if you have that card in that round at least or that phase. So yeah, I think so. I I really like the idea of glorious triumph enabling warbands to tap into yeah. it. This is something that you mentioned earlier. You know, when you're talking about the ceiling, right, of warbands and their power level. Um, yeah. Inadvertently, what always happens is that it's really good for warbands who need the help, and it's just busted on some warbands who didn't need the help. <laughs> and everything, yeah. right? Anytime you make something a universal concept, like Hunter's Talisman is a great card, much needed for some warbands. But because Hrothorn exists, you know, it's a problem card. Same with Thorns of the Barcoon. Um, this card is silly on Thorns. This card is silly on Amberbone Gifts. This card is silly on Grimwatch. Um, and when I say this card, I mean like Glorious Triumph and Hidden Purpose, honestly, because you'll always get <laughs> Hidden Purpose. Right. Right. You ha- And you have power cards that can help you do this. Grimwatch have Pack Advance. Um, Gits have an innate movement ability, reaction, scurry. And then Thorns right. have Varclav. So, and then even Skeletons, honestly, you know, shout out to Shuby because uh, he, <laughs> he loves playing the guard and they also have the, uh, the action, which is probably the least efficient of the four, but still very, very viable, right? Where you can just score this in one activation. And then if you get a kill, the fact that you can hold to get a kill and score supremacy and, and then get 10 V in a surge is, <laughs> yeah so so i don't i don't like the interaction with the surges because i do feel like that's really powerful um i mean kind of like what i talked about with mike and tom on their podcast i just don't like surge for holding objectives i think it kind of fundamentally breaks the core mechanic of the game but um for the end phase stuff i actually don't mind it as much because it does let you um control the boards it does let you it does give you another tool to get that third objective, which I kind of like um, for the end phase scoring. I also think it's pretty cool for warbands like Lady Harrows, who have cards like hold more objectives than your opponent, um, which can be done through by holding two and then using disruption. Uh, I also think my recent McGuire's Fiends deck did something similar, and I'm going to continue to do something similar with it. Um, I basically need two for uncontested and path to victory. And then I need Swift Capture, Hidden Purpose, things like that. Um, so in those warbands, I think it's actually pretty cool because it allows them to um, have less of a focus on where their fighters need to be because they don't have very many fighters. 
But I mean, you know, the Thorns of the Briar Queen will probably always be the best objective warband unless we get one that's even better. Um, so they're always going to skew that direction. That said, it's good that, you know, they recently restricted sudden appearance because that is, you know, one less card that, you know, they have to choose between either taking that card or um, some of these other cards. I will say it's still in every Thorns deck ever. <laughs> well, yeah, it absolutely is. But what that means is that sudden or, uh, you know, there isn't scrum and temporary victory and sudden growth. Um, right. Which is important. You know, so it's it's still taking it's and that's the cool thing about these faction card restrictions that we've seen is either you lose one of your universal tools um, and that lowers the power that way or you just skip out on that faction card and that lowers your power because of that. Um, so I, I think. I think that uh, basically I, I'm just a giant believer in the far list. I think almost anything can be achieved with it. Um, yeah, I really like what you said on on the uh, chat and crit where you were like, I'm a big, you, you said, I don't really believe a set is complete until the far list comes out. Um, <laughs> or something along those lines, yeah. I may not be directly quoting you, but I completely agree. The far list is now a part of this game. It's a living, living breathing document. And just because a release comes out doesn't mean that's the final iteration of the game, nor should it be. Farless should always be there. Uh, I don't necessarily think you want to restrict hidden purpose. Um, so to go back to this question, I you think... Glorious Triumph? Glorious Triumph, yeah. Of yeah. course we need to restrict hidden purpose. Um, <laughs> please, Dave Sanders, if you're listening. Um, but uh, no, I think the two-objective approach is very viable, and I think you can do it in your control. Uh, or your your Flexi Magors, right? Like, you just hold one objective, get a kill, and you can do all that. Yeah. I would have liked to see the card, you know, if we're talking about solutions as well. You mentioned Goros for Avatar. I would just say, like, this, the effect only works in the end phase. I think that would have just fixed the card. Um, because oh, I, yeah. I don't like it working with Surges at all. That's my only like, reservation with that card. I think everything else right. is fine. It's just It's just one round. Which could be a big round. I mean, it, it would be a very cool card to have in the online game. It would be a very cool card to have um, in Night Vault without the Surges. Um, it's 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 just a really... The Glorious Triumph is a really cool card. Um, so, I don't know. Um, <clears throat> that's what I think about that. Um, I would say that the hold 2 in general is going to be really good for any of the four fighter warbands um, to sort of directly answer Wathrab. I think... Um, or Wath Lab, rather. Um, so I'm excited to see that. I've made a Ladies Harrow deck that I need to try out that uh, is doing a lot of that, and I think it looks pretty good. So That's another control that warband, I think, actually, Lady Harrow's. I think they can be, yeah. 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 At least um, they have four fighters, and they're not that hard to kill, really, if you throw enough stuff at them. Yeah, so. that, well, it's a, it, I think it's a well-designed, well, actually well-designed, in terms of the its weaknesses and its wound set up and his fighter stats. Um, I think they have some really, yeah, I think really the two dodge can be a little annoying. Oh, dude, for sure. I never really thought two dodge <laughs> was annoying until I started playing in Beast Grave, actually. I don't know if it just became more apparent or like because survival instincts was a thing. But, yeah, uh, I think guard was is a lot more useful. Yeah, that's probably what it was. <laughs> the change to guard, I forgot that that wasn't in the first two versions of the game. Um, yeah. yeah, so Wath Lab, you can play two objectives. Um... <laughs> And it's probably going to be good with thorns. Steel City Mike on Discord. <laughs> speaking of Mike, uh, questions here. Do you have? Oh, I was making fun of him this earlier. 
he goes, cheeky question. Do you have any medicals going into the next Vassal Clash? What are the strong warbands that you suspect will do well? And I guess I'll ask you, but I definitely have thoughts. <laughs> um, I would say I think Thorns gets Grimwatch, Harrows are all really, really good. Crushes, I think, are good. I'm not actually sure how good I think crushes are because I feel like the objective warbands are maybe the most powerful that they've ever been. Um, or they're close. Um, other than that, I think Rippas still have some real play. Um, and that's that's probably what comes to the top of my head. Maybe Hrothkorn. Um, I think that's that's what I think. Yeah, so for me, um, similar. I think objective warbands are the strongest. Um, so watch out for Thorns. Watch out for Grimwatch. I think they're in a really good place. And they probably have the ability to actually jump back into that surge machine that they were uh, because of hidden purpose. You can easily take uh, in the name of the king, temper victory and hidden purpose, or maybe even shifting madness and some other stuff with glorious time. Show of force. Show of force, exactly. Gather momentum. Yeah. Yep. So they're they're going to be really good again. You know, much to my chagrin. Um, I think players who know what they're doing with Amberbone gets, uh, and because Jimmy won't be playing in the event, you can probably assume that there won't be people playing them to his caliber. Um. Uh, so, uh, you know, he's no life to them for a while now, so he's pretty good at <laughs> playing them. Um, and then you're going to look at Control, which I think is a very close second. I mean, there's going to be two builds, and everybody and their mom is going to be playing them. It's going to be Hrothborn, <laughs> and it's going to be four up crushes, and they're going to be doing a Tome Avatar build with Hrothborn flexing into Objective Destruction, with, and then with the crushes either dipping into quarry or uh, common strategy is to like run them up with one to two of the fighters and cause as much disruption as you can while keeping one of the fighters in the back. Um, you know, more got kicks on two smash three damage off the bat. So that's pretty scary. So yeah. um, he can brawl with them for a while. And I think the only aggro war band that can keep up with them is Ripa's. I love wild hunt. I don't think they can keep up, you know, um, <laughs> And I think it's primarily because of Set the Tempo. Um, Set the Tempo is a three-glory end-phase card, and they can score it very reliably because of cool hunters. So, because right. it's a dual card, faction dual card, that's also worth two glory. So you can take, like, Gathered Momentum, Team Effort, you know, Show yeah. of Force, Cool Hunters, and some other cards along the way, and you've got a very reliable superior tactician that can be yeah. scored before the third end phase yeah and you don't give up much glory if you do lose fighters and you just uh, give up three maybe yeah, four Europa is a real pain <laughs> yeah <laughs> like it's tooled up it's a win-win right like i've been i've been playing rippers a lot just because i i really wanted to see if set the tempo was a good card and my opinion is very good with rippers is yeah you ignore ripa okay he just mows through your warband um and then use the weapon at all that uh, gives you plus two damage if you have wounds? No, I have not. Okay. No, but I, 
you know, I've been using, you know, a lot of the accuracy upgrades and, and you know, he just, he just mows through people. And then if yeah. you, if you, if you don't ignore Rippo, then that's fine. My other two inspire and I have enough weapons and stuff in there to make it work. And Furious Reprisal is such a good card. And so is Narrow Escape. So, I mean, those are, the, I think, I think so. My personal topics, Thorns, Grimwatch, Rothborn, Crushes, Rippos. If your deck can beat all five of those, you are going to be in a really good spot. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's a good one. There, I don't know if there are any dark horses there, really. I think I've seen people try to do some Feed the Beast Grave stuff to varying success. Um, I think my Magor's deck is pretty good, but it's definitely not on the same level. Um, yeah. I think your Magor deck also had the element of surprise. Because yeah, a like, little bit. Yeah. So like now that a lot of the people who participate in these events are also very high <laughs> content consumers right like they take the time to install some sort of software so they can play this game and you know sign up for these events and clear up their schedules so i mean i think it's a great deck and i think you know you've done very well with it and i hope that you continue to do so and i think you can um yeah but like they, i think but, skaven but, are actually pretty good too yeah that's another one that it. i think are one of those dark horses but i think i think now people know what you're up to. Yeah, yeah. You know, if you re- <laughs> for anyone listening, if you match up against Jonathan playing with boys, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> um, you know, like exactly. So, yeah, just just pull up the deck guide I made, <laughs> and, and then you'll have a real good idea of what I'm trying to do. <laughs> I think so. if you can find a warband that does something similar, but maybe is a little different, like yeah. I, you know, I, for fun, I was making a control steel heart deck, and it's really silly. Um, but, uh, it's not, it's nowhere near as consistent as you could do it with other warbands, but, um, it's, it's yeah. still a good, it's pretty decent. It was just, it was nice remembering. I was like, oh, Severin does three damage off the bat. That's pretty cool. I forgot about that. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So. It's pretty good. Yeah. Um, I so mean, that's, that's the fun thing about this game. I mean, you know, we, so, you know, we talked about how there's 26 warbands earlier and how that can be a lot to parse through sometimes, but. Like it also means you can pull one of those out and be like, all right, how do I make this work and how do I win a couple games? You know, so yeah, it's so a there's, lot of fun. There's definitely a pros and cons for sure, um, but you there's clearly like the new warbands are clearly successful, and I think what's helping <laughs> primarily Skaven and Magor's longevity in this game is they just have some superior fighter stats, yeah, um, or abilities. So like Scritch Monster. And then the fact that you have four dudes uh, with four wounds and one of them can move four off the bat and they're pretty decently accurate, you know, so that is something that kind of helps them exist. And then, oh, and and maybe Profiteers. I know a lot of people messing around with Profiteers lately. I think I've retired them, so. Yeah, I think think they're solid, but I think that the surge limit hurts them. Um, I'd be interested to give them another go, though. They also have relatively low damage, which um, in the current meta, I don't know if that's great all the time. But if I could yeah. make them hunters reliably, I would I would take them <laughs> in snare, which is actually a great segue to our next topic. <laughs> yep. I know that you had some thoughts on a previous episode. If you wanted to mention that before we jumped in, yeah, we um, did get some feedback on our card commentary episode. People did seem to like um, us going through every card, so we may continue to do that. Um, I don't think we got any negative comments, so they don't, people don't seem to mind us sitting here for three hours talking about cards. <laughs> I wonder so, if we so they can always though. pause it. 
If we hit four hours, what happens? Uh, I leave. <laughs> <laughs> At the yeah. three-hour point, Ahmad continues on by himself. <laughs> yeah. um, no. But you know what? No, I, I think the other... Uh, the, uh, the last time we were recording... I think I was like, come on, let's, let's go, let's go. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, no, it just depends. Like, I, I guess if we're both in the mood, we could go on for a while. Uh, We've so- definitely sat here and talked to each other about this game for more than three hours before, but <laughs> we no, just no, haven't we recorded have. it. <laughs> you know, it'd be funny. We'll, like, talk about an episode prep, and then we'll end up discussing what we should have be do- which we should be doing on the podcast for, like, an hour. And then one of us will be like, damn, we should have just done that on the podcast. <laughs> but then we won't do yeah. it again because it's not organic because we already had the conversation. Yeah. So it's true. that's kind of funny. Um, well, let's get on to our main topic an hour and a half in. Um, <laughs> it's kind of a reoccurring theme here. Is uh, So one thing that, you know, we, you know, Jonathan and I were talking about what we wanted to talk in the next episode because we try to plan these somewhat in advance. It's mostly Jonathan planning and me just like, curiously randomly typing and stuff but um you know one thing that i I really wanted to discuss and and then you know jonathan agreed was that you know we've finally get to see the whole set right we get to see the full beast grave universal carpool aside from arena mortis and um one of the biggest aspects that were advertised about this game was hunter and quarry you know there's going to be hunters there's going to be quarries we're in the realm of beasts Everything is prey and predator. You are the hunted, and then you are the hunter. So there were these all cool uh, thematic motifs associated with this season. And I remember just thinking like halfway through, like, you know, I can't wait to see what else is out there. And Tom Bond had even written an article on Steel City Underworlds uh, in regards to like, so we've seen Hunter so far, you know. And, and, and I was really curious as well because... I'm not really sure if Hunter is as exciting as we all thought it would be. Um, but and, and we just want to explore that. You know, we obviously have opinions, but, you know, we're really curious on what your opinions are as well. And, and more than happy to pick this up in the future. But I guess let's start, right? So, um, Jonathan, when you heard about, you know, the Hunter core mechanic, like what were your expectations and hopes for that mechanic? Hmm. Um, it's interesting. I think that it's... I think when I initially saw it, um, I was very curious about what a new... Because Hunter was like a new class that we hadn't seen before. The last one we had seen was Wizard. And uh, I would say Wizard in general um, was probably a success, I would say. I think that um, maybe Cursebreaker shouldn't all have been Wizards. That was kind of a weird little thing. Um, It did kind of make them the best at magic. And then when they ended up being too good, you know... But um, for this, I think I think the surprise was that it doesn't really do that much. Um, I did think it was cool that, you know, Snare is um, like a hunter-only card, and there are a few cards like that. But uh, I guess I had hope I would have hoped that, you know, it was there were meaningful ways to mark people as quarries and then rewards for that or advantages for targeting them, things like that. Um, I, th- I think that would have been my like if somebody had said, "Hey, Hunter and Quarry is in the next season. What do you think it is?" I would have said something like that. Yeah. Like yeah. Maybe you get a reroll, or maybe you, you know. 
Yeah, yeah. I thought it was going to be. I completely agree. I thought it was going to be something that was just there, right? You didn't really. And we'll talk about a little bit more about what we mean by that. But when I thought, like, oh, what's hunter and quarry? I'm like, oh, like they're going to be hunters and 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 fighters out of quarries, and they're just going to have these cool interactions with one another. And like sometimes, you know, so obviously hunters will have advantage into their quarries, but sometimes, you know, a quarry can turn the tables and become the hunter themselves. And I thought it was going to be this really cool. Uh, type of uh, mechanic right so then we get into the beast grave dropping and then we kind of get a feel for some of these cards and you know first warband is you know or second warband first is grass racks and spoilers and we have a couple hunters sprinkled in there as some ungors and then we have the wild hunt which as their name implies are a bunch of hunters right so Mm -hmm. um, we kind of got an idea for how this mechanic works so for our listeners or maybe those who are not necessarily familiar with underworlds and we're tuning in for the first time. Um, could you please explain how the hunter core mechanic actually works? Yeah, sure. So the way that it works is that there are some fighters that are hunters naturally. Um, I would say that this is primarily the way that fighters become hunters. Um, hunter doesn't actually mean anything other than you are one. And there are certain cards that you can interact with. Um, such as Snare, which can only be played after a Hunter's attack action. Um, But then there are also Quarries. Um, We don't have any fighters in the game that are naturally a Quarry. So the only way to become a Quarry is to have an upgrade or a ploy make you one. Um, And then, but the being a Quarry in and of itself also doesn't do anything. You just are a Quarry. And so where the interaction comes in is when cards and I guess it's actually only cards. I don't think there are any fighters that have a hunter quarry ability on their card either. Um, so there are certain, right. Yeah. I mean, we'll get to Hrothcorn, but he doesn't actually gain anything from attacking a quarry. Right. He, he just makes you a quarry. Um, so there are some cards that'll be like, you know, like victimize is a good example where you, you can reroll all the dice if you, uh, are targeting a quarry. Um, but it also doesn't require you to be a hunter, I don't think. It's just anti-quarry, so it's not even a great example of that. Um, there are some cards that are, if a hunter targets a quarry, you get this bonus. Um, and then there are other cards that are, if anyone targets a quarry, you get this bonus. There are other things where if a quarry attacks a hunter, they get a bonus, um, and so on. Um, so I guess... I guess the thing that we're noticing is that it requires a lot of pieces to make this put together. First, you have to be a hunter, then you have to make them a quarry, and then you have to have the card that gives you the bonus as well. Um, so I guess the question is, um, you know, how do you make that work competitively, and can anybody even do it? <laughs> yeah, no, that's so I appreciate the summary. Yeah, that's that's great. I think the biggest thing to think about is that becoming a hunter or a quarry is just a keyword, right? Yeah. Um, there's no innate bonus or ability or mechanic inherently associated with those keywords. Uh, you mentioned that there are some cards that interact with those those fighters, whether they are a hunter or a quarry. But mm-hmm. the only way that you can reliably become a hunter or a quarry, um, well, at least for a hunter, there are warbands that have hunt that have like fighters who have the hunter keyword on them, 
And mm-hmm. generally, if they have a bow, they're a hunter. Um, that's what we've seen so far. Right. Yeah, that's true. And then, and then obviously there are others as well, depending on the theme. And then for the quarries, there's, there's, as you mentioned, there's no innate, like, there's no innate quarry. There's no fighter that starts to quarry. So you have to rely on upgrades, which means you have to rely on drawing those cards and then getting the glory to spend those upgrades. Uh, so some, some interesting investment in these, archetypes and these and these keywords right these classes um so i guess when you talk about hunter quarry what are some bonuses worth building for and i guess we should start with the obvious right which is if you're a hunter you just gain access to a set of universal pool uh, cards in the universal pool that just benefit you like snare or trophy belt yeah. right tracking yeah tracking exactly is another great one so I guess what we've seen is we've seen these warbands, these hunters who can just do things that other warbands can't do, but those things that they do, what it seems like now that we've gone to the end of the season, isn't worth investing into unless it comes naturally. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, I think there's actually quite a few um, cards for hunters that are pretty cool. Like if you think about Despoilers, they have their um, movement card that I think lets them push any hunter. Um, and that's pretty cool. Um, there's, you know, snare is cool because if like it's, it is the same as effectively the same as pit trap, although it's a slightly different reaction window. Um, but I don't feel like it's ever been imbalanced really. Like it's never been worth restricting, like, because the hunter warbands have always been like, it's just been okay on them. And then like for warbands like Grimwatch, they're not all hunters. So like, it's a little bit limited there. You don't see a ton of snare in Grimwatch. Um, you know, so it's it's interesting how it works that way. Um, it's a cool way to come up with a card um, that only works for some fighters. Like there are some warbands that have like fewer hunters than others. Just um, spoilers are probably the, the best example of like half hunter, half not. Um, I don't know if you take hunter cards in the Blade Coven because there's only one, but um, I thought I think that's pretty neat. So I, I I would say the hunter keyword and then the cards that support the hunter keyword are pretty solid actually. Yeah, I mean, it almost seems like some of these Hunter Warbands were designed knowing that Snare and Trophy Belt and Tracking would exist. Right. Um, which is why they haven't become oppressive. Because, you know, Snare is, is a New Age version of Trap, right? Shadespire card. Yeah. And and Trap is was restricted because everybody could take it. But because you have these Warbands who, and I guess because they're Hunters... Uh, their natural like style of play is aggressive, right? You have the Wild Hunt. You have the Spoilers, as you mentioned. The Grimwatch can get pretty aggressive. Uh, you've got Hrothgorn. You've got Rippas. Uh, even the yeah. Blade Coven, who have one Hunter, are an aggressive slash something else warband. So um, I think... So do you find that just the keyword itself, if you start with it, is a successful interaction as being a Hunter in this game? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a pretty good thing. It's kind of like being a wizard. It's, you know, a little bit different. Um, maybe like being, you know, I mean, it's... it. What I, I guess what I don't like about it is that it, those cards aren't very good for anyone that isn't a hunter naturally. Um, like, a lot of warbands wish they had another Spectral Wings, but only hunters do because of tracking. Um, I guess now we have Malkin Grace, so that kind of gets around that. But um, And, you know, Trophy Belt is, you know, not usable for a lot of warbands, but then... You know, really usable on the hunters. So, 
from from that aspect, I don't love that. I there's a few cards that will make you a hunter, but I don't think any of them really see any play because other than making you a hunter, they don't really do anything useful. Or they have abilities associated with quarry. Right, right. Like it'll give you a reroll against a quarry. So that means you have to apply that upgrade to become a hunter, and then you have to make somebody a quarry. Exactly. You're not going to take that card just so you can activate Snare or something like that. Yeah. So you actually answered my next my follow-up question to you was, do you think it's worth Uh becoming a hunter if you're not already a hunter? And so your answer is no. Uh, Not with the current card pool, no. Yeah. Okay. Theoretically, if... Strength of Terror also made you a hunter, then I would be fine with it. So, like, if there was, like, an upgrade that, like, or, like, a gambit, hypothetically, was, like, oh, your, your fighters are hunters for the turn. Like, what, do you think that's good enough, or does it need to be more of, like, an upgrade or, or an objective or, or some something that you can tap into? Because the quarry stuff is cool, and sometimes you can yeah. get matched up against hunters that, with unfortunate side effects, like, they get rerolls against you. But... yeah. I'm just. So I, get- I would say maybe a good way to think about it for me would be if I'm playing Magor's Fiends and I want to take Snare, how many Hunter cards do I need in that deck that are also useful on their own? I would say maybe like four or five would be how many I would need. And then I would take Dragging and then I would take Snare as well to benefit from that. Um, so I might need like a Haymaker that also made me a Hunter for that attack. You know, then I, I would need a great strength or a great fortitude that also made me a hunter. Um, if it's ubiquitous and it's actually like I would have to work hard to not become a hunter rather than have to like tech into it, then I could see possibly that happening. Um, but, it, you know, with the current, you know, I say current card pool because, um, I mean, I think the next season is also in this area. We may see more, but um, currently we certainly don't... Uh, certainly not worth it. I don't think I've ever seen anyone play a card that makes you a hunter. Um, there may be the one that... There might be one that's the same as Great Speed, but it also makes you a hunter. Maybe that one's worth taking if you're taking Great Speed, but I don't see much of that. Yeah, I mean, I think you're absolutely correct. Yeah, I know that Mike tried it in the beginning. Mike Carlin yeah. with Molog. And even he was like, yo, it just requires too many cards. It might be something revisiting again. Because like Molog he wanted a trophy re- belt, I think. Yes, he wanted a trophy belt. So, yeah. so let's talk about let's talk about hunters versus quarry, right? Or actually, rather, I I don't think there are any cards that you gain benefits if you're fighting into like a, a hunter, right? Like, there's nothing anti-hunter in this game, really. I mean, there is the objective that we talked about, where if you're a quarry and you kill a hunter, you get two glory, and um, that was in the recent card drop. Yeah. Um. I mean, what might be more useful to talk about is, like, how do you make people quarries, and is that something you want to do? Sure. Yeah, we can definitely get into that. Um, I mean, you, so you've explained and then we can earlier, talk right? About the interaction between the two. Yeah, yeah, sure. So you talked about already how people can become quarries, right? Um, you mentioned upgrades. Um, no one starts innately as a quarry, uh, and then you know, throughout this episode, we've alluded, especially because we were talking about absolute stillness, that there are some great cards that seemingly give you this debuff that make you a quarry um and we'll get into whether it's truly a debuff or not later uh what what do you think of like what what do you think some of the benefits are of becoming a quarry so i actually think we've just recently hit the critical mass of useful cards that make you that also happen to make you a quarry which presumably is a bad thing 
Um, like you'd think that if you're taking, like my assumption would be that if I'm taking a car that makes me a quarry, I'm supposed to think about that as a downside. Um, so survival instincts puts me on guard, but I'm a quarry. So that's not good. And then cryptic companion is an amazing card, but I'm also a quarry. Um, unfortunately, if it's unlikely that I'm going to have any of those cards in my deck, it's not worth it for my opponent to tech into any sort of anti-quarry tech. Um, I would say we might actually be at the point now where maybe it is uh, worth doing because Cryptic Companion is an amazing card, and I think we're going to see a lot of that ongoing. Um, Strength of Terror is a really good card that I think we're going to see a lot of. And then because of Absolute Stillness, which is too glory for having a quarry on an objective if they don't have a move or charge token, I think maybe you take three of those and then you park somebody on the back and get two glory. And so only now do I think maybe you should take Victimize in your deck. Maybe you should take the ping damage that uh, it's, I think it's Hunting Bolt, where it does one damage and then it does two damage to a quarry. Um, I, I think we're almost there, if that makes sense. Um, I think it's a meta call. But if the enemy is marking themselves as quarry reliably, maybe you can take one or two cards that do something decent like Victimize and then also give you an amazing buff if they if they apply that upgrade. Um, it's tricky, though, because, you know, Cryptic Companion and Survival Instincts are, were so good that they got restricted, so we may see a little bit less than the, of that. So I think there's like this sweet spot that we would ideally have wanted to hit where... Um, most of the useful upgrades of this season make you a quarry, but I don't think we've quite seen that. Yeah. So I think that was very well said. There's not really much to add to that. Honestly, I think you nailed it right on the head there. So let's jump into, um, so we've talked about these benefits. I, I think the, the, the best part of the way you phrase it is people are choosing to become quarries because the pros are outweighing the cons. And this con that we're all assuming is that you are a quarry. But is that really right. is that really a, a con? So let's get into like you know anti-quarry tech. So you talked about hunting bolt and victimize and and you know as someone who's played like a warband that for a while now for wild hunt who is like, I guess the poster child for hunters. Mm-hmm. Um, do they like the the, the the most interesting interaction that I got consistently? Was Eye of Karnoff is an upgrade where you get plus one dice. And then I think if you're uh, fighting a core, you can reroll one of them. Right? Yeah. And and mm-hmm. then it was just, again, sent to survival instincts. And that was the extent of my hunter core interaction. Granted, there wasn't much quarry there in general. But I never really saw that. Like, my opponents never really saw that a downside. They were like, oh, yeah, that's neat. You get a reroll. I'm still on guard right. with three dice. <laughs> well, and, and I mean, that's an example of the where the quarry card is just better than any anti-quarry ability that you have. So being on guard is so good in uh, this season that you don't really care if you're getting a reroll. The enemy's getting a reroll occasionally, um, which is just kind of, a, like I guess, a funny side effect. Um, and then you also have to be, you know, wild hunt to play that. Um, I mean, a universal card that gave you like the one we just saw that's hunter only plus one dice and then a reroll against quarries. Um, that's good enough to take whether or not there are any quarries in the game. 
I'm, I'm trying to think if there was a card that like, I almost feel like great strength and great fortitude and great speed should have all just made you a quarry for this season. Like put it on everything. Um, otherwise I'm not really sure how it ends up seeing a ton of play. Although, like I said, I think we're almost to the point where it's quasi playable. If the cards do something for you, if you're not using the hunter quarry interaction, it's just a lot of work. Yeah. I guess that's sort of the problem behind uh, the whole thing. So you would never, you would never have a war band that was not a hunter and then make them hunters and then also take anti quarry stuff. (laughs) Like that's just it'd be the third round before you got that interaction to even work once, probably. Yeah, it's too many cards. Uh, exactly. And, yeah. and we, we all try to play with twenty power cards. So, so, and, and I agree with all of this, right? I just, I just needed someone to say it out loud, and, and so we're having this conversation. <laughs> we're talking about Hunter and Quarry, and I think the consensus is if you have Hunter, and you just your warband just has Hunters in it, you, you can take Hunter cards, and that's great. Um, but you're not really going to try to become a hunter, even at the end of the season, uh, because the the it's just too much work. Whereas it's worth becoming a quarry, because it doesn't really matter if you get the quarry keyword, because there's not a lot of hunters that are really gaining too much of a benefit from interacting with you. And then there's also right. always the chance that like your opponent doesn't run any quarry cards, or you just don't match up against hunters, right? Um, because not every warband has these built into it. Um, and, you know, some of the more popular warbands in this season, actually, um, some of the more, actually more powerful fighters, aside from Hrothorn, don't. And, and I think this is a great time to talk about Hrothorn. Hrothorn takes this hunter quarry mechanic that there's a bit of, un, you know, unsurety in regards to whether you're going to see that full interaction take place. And he just says, you know what? I'm a hunter and everything. And every person that fights me is a quarry. And he is the one who can right. take full advantage of that hunter-quarry interaction. Now, I guess the question is, does he even do that? Or does he just still stack hunter-buffing cards rather than anti-quarry cards? Um, I, th- I think historically he's taken advantage of a few cards. Um forget what it's called. I think it's called Beast is Slain, where if a hunter kills a quarry. Yeah, um, or the leader. Or the leader, yeah. yeah. So that's a pretty solid card. I don't think you would normally take it for the leader. Um, it's one glory if a hunter kills a leader. It's not really worth it. But for him, um, it's basically just saying if Rothcorn kills anybody, which, yeah, that's worth a surge probably. Um, and then, I mean, interestingly, it's like a three out of four surge, <laughs> um, given the surges that we've seen this season. The um, other card I think we've seen is there is a card where you get a reroll if a hunter attacks a quarry. And for him, um, because I don't think it has a range restriction, a reroll can be quite worth it. Um, it makes his range attack a lot more accurate when he's not inspired. Um, and then it makes any of his attacks amazing after he does inspire. So I think that's pretty solid. Um, but I would say that the perception of that is that it just seems like Rothcorn just has access to another layer of cards that nobody else does because it's not worth it for anyone to put the work in to use those cards normally. So just like the hunters have a selection of cards that only work for them, he has a further selection of cards that only work for him. Uh, That's kind of the effect, I think, of the way that his rule works. 
Yeah, well summarized uh, for sure. Um, again, he's just really so. I guess Rothborn is the only one who can consistently tap into that. Uh, I suppose pro of interacting into quarries, but again, it's it's really not doing much, right? Aside from the beast of slain and a couple other cards, and maybe the occasional reroll here and there, he's just. Which yeah. I think rerolls are important. It's it's just really not something that like but I don't it makes think you, victimize really really good. Absolutely, but I don't I don't think you play Hrothcorn and get really excited because he makes everyone a quarry. Right? I think you play Hrothcorn just because he's like this big meaty big boy who can maybe have a range attack, right? Yeah, yeah. I think that may be the reason that I think this mechanic uh, is a little bit disappointing is that it either doesn't work or it only works because it's almost not a mechanic anymore. It's just like, yeah, now you can use these cards um, with Rothcorn. Yeah. So I'm going to ask you a couple questions just to get your thoughts on these. Because obviously, I've got cool. opinions, but I haven't really heard yours. <laughs> do we think it? Do we think Hunter Core achieves what it was supposed to? Right, like it was touted, and to, to really write, it was touted as this, you know, game-breaking mechanic that's going to turn interactions on their heels, where hunters are going to be like chasing their quarries, and then quarries will, you know, have a tough time against hunters, but then they'll be able to punch back every once in a while, and it'll be really cool to see that. Um, I would say, in general, the answer is probably no. I, I doubt that it achieved, um, you know, everything that. It would have hoped to. Um, I do think that now that we have the full card set, it is a little bit possible. I'm going to try to put Victimize in some of my decks, maybe after I put in a Haymaker, something like that. <laughs> um, you know, because it is really good against Cryptic Companion. It is really good against Strength of Terror. Um, and it's an okay card normally, you know. Um, if I was building a Magic deck, like a Curse Breaker deck, I might put in Hunting Bolt. Uh, it's a pretty good ping damage and one damage, you know, um, but, you know, even I guess it's important to note that this isn't the hunter versus quarry mechanic. This is just the anti quarry situation. Um, so I, I would say that there is almost no hunter versus quarry interaction in the competitive game outside of Rothcorn. Um, but there is some pretty good pro hunter stuff and there's some pretty good anti quarry stuff. It just doesn't really mesh that much because it's it's really just too much work. Um, so <clears throat> yeah I, no I actually completely agree I think it's funny I keep saying that but it's true um, <laughs> you know it it. The, I guess the best way to explain Hunter Quarry for me is Hunting Bolt you take the card because it does one damage and it's a great tool added to whatever I guess double triple ping storm sire that you're running yeah. And then if it ever does two damage, you're like, oh, that's cool. But <laughs> yeah, victimize really, is the same. Yeah. Exactly. But you don't really care. That's not why you're taking the card in the first place. Um, right. So, so I think that is my. That's how I feel about Hunter Quarry, where it's like, oh, cool. <laughs> but, eh, you know, it doesn't really matter to me much uh, otherwise. Right. Um, so. So do you think that the way that we perceive uh, we perceive Hunter Quarry is the way that it's been received with the community? I mean, like, what are you what are your thoughts and concepts on um, hmm. how the people have reacted to Hunter Quarry? And and yeah, keep in mind that you know we just got an influx of new cards 
Uh, and so we haven't really fully explored some of the possibilities. But, you know, for the most part, you know, community is pretty quick to catch on to things. What do you think their yeah. opinions are on Hunter Core? Um, I mean, I think there's probably, in general, I think there's probably two groups of people. I would say there's probably the less competitive groups that just wish that it did more for the flavor of it. Um, I think that, uh, you know, I think the concept is really cool. I think the concept of Beast Grave is really cool. I love the war bands. Um, I feel like, you know, Wild Hunt and Ripa's feel like they're hunters, um, but they don't really benefit. Like, it, it just doesn't really you know, like those warbands are well designed, but unfortunately that, that part of the mechanic isn't really there. Um, competitively, I don't know how much, um, you or I, I don't know how much it really bothers us that it doesn't work. Um, except that we would just like there to be more possibilities. Um, I could, I could imagine a scenario where, you know, I could build a deck that was marking targets and then taking them down and then getting rewarded for that. Um, and so on. And that would be something that as a competitive player, I would be interested in putting that kind of deck together and finding some kind of synergy there. Um, you know, one of the struggles with, you know, this game in general and deck building in general is that um, the cutoff of whether or not something is good enough to take competitively tends to be um, a little bit cutthroat, I guess is how I think about it. Like it's good enough or it's not. Right. And so competitively, if it's not good enough, I just don't think about it that much. You know, um, and that's kind of how I think about Hunter Quarry. <laughs> yeah, I think it's an interesting thing to think about because I really haven't thought about it since the beginning of the season. No, I, th- I think it's a good point because, like, the way I look at it is, you know, I really like the idea of it. Like, I my favorite warband this season has been a Hunter Warband. The warband I'm playing right now is a Hunter Warband. Like, I want to see more of it, but I'm also in the yeah. same camp where it's like, uh, you know, it, the, the, I guess the best way that you explain that cutthroat like nature of it is like you look at your toolbox and you're like what's going to get the job done and we don't really get too invested in particular cards maybe we get invested in warbands and which is why you know there's a part of me that wishes hunter quarry was something that was a little bit more controllable or, or interactive but at the end of the day it just comes down to you know are we um focusing on you know, trying to win or trying to, I guess, work on a interaction. And so I think, and, and sometimes it's synonymous, right? Sometimes you can do both. But in this situation, unless you're playing Wildcorn, um, it's kind of like a nice mm-hmm. to have, but it's not needed. Yeah. Um, so we asked some of our Patreons, because I think, you know, not much more to be said on it. Again, you know, it is what it is, and we would love to see more, but I wouldn't say, I guess we were disappointed as much as we expected more and we were like, Oh, okay. You know, it's not necessarily what we expected, but it's, it's fine for what it does. And so we went ahead and asked our patrons what they thought on this topic. And so Valen, Valentine, Valentin, I'm going to have to ask him how to pronounce that. It's teen. I asked him, it's Valentine, but he also said we can call him Val. <laughs> Valen, Valentine. Why does he just put the, yeah, I guess because the E at the end would be Valentine. Um, maybe you should put two E's. I don't know how they spell it. I mean, I think that is his name. So I, I think... Um, Valentine. Well, I will never... Well, Valentine, thank you for telling me how to pronounce your name. <laughs> I will never ever tell you how to spell or pronounce your name. So I appreciate you letting me know. Um, so Valentine. Um, 
so these are his thoughts, right? And I, I think this is really interesting. Um, my problem with Hunter Quarry is that it's not possible to ensure that there are enemy quarries. There are too few cards available which can make enemy fighter quarries, and these cards do not have much other use. Even if there were better cards which make enemy fighter quarries, it would still be too much of a setup in order to get a little benefit, such as a dice reroll, which is, I think is the most common one we've seen. Um, also, there is no way to ensure that there are enemy hunters at all. For example, scoring the Akori kills a hunter objective. So in my opinion, Hrothborn's ability should be nerfed so that only enemy fighters in enemy territory are quarries. They should not be quarries when they are coming into his territory, when they are hunting him. In addition, a universal gambit with the same or similar effect might help solve the problem, such as all enemy fighters on objectives are quarries. That would make more sense. So a lot of information uh, and a pretty comprehensive thought on the hunter quarry uh, interaction. And, and this is one that um, has a lot of weight behind it because Valentina is someone who's played a lot of Wild Hunt as well, almost exclusively. And yeah. so um, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, it just seems like it's a, it's a bit of a reiteration of, of kind of the same lines that we're on and, and potentially a, a solution here in regards to uh, Hrothborn, but... Again, it's, go ahead. I think he actually made a good point that we kind of passed over. One of the potential issues is that if they ever did add more stuff to the Hunter Quarry thing, Rothborn is always going to be the best at it. Um, we kind of see this with Victimize. Um, there's no way to make the mechanic better for Wild Hunt and Ripas and not make it way, way better for Hrothgorn. Um So his idea that Rothgorn should be nerfed in order, you know, that's kind of a prerequisite for them fixing the mechanic that might be true i hadn't thought about that before well i would agree right i mean so we've, we've talked about this in the past where you know mechanics are cool game mechanics are cool but whenever you give them to someone for free or make them the best at it that's when there's a challenge so you want to look at magic you look at curse breakers you could hunter quarry yeah. you look at profitable right i mean there's a precedent every single magic warband suffered because how powerful curse breakers were and conversely, every single Hunter Warband has suffered because of how powerful Hrothgorn is. But the, the thing is, is Hrothgorn still gains his edge because of other things. Like Tome of Glories was only restricted, you know, we can surmise because it was so powerful with Hrothgorn. The fact that he was charging around with Tome and Tome of Glories oh, and Trophy Belt. Yeah. Sorry, what did I say? Uh, Tome of Glories, yeah. Yeah, no, I meant Trophy Belt. He's running around with yeah. Trophy Belt and Tome of Offering because he's getting. <laughs> Three glory a kill, you know, um, and and that's balanced right. on on Scathe because he's still killable. That that's also kind of balanced on on Ripa, right? But with yeah. the six wound yeah. fighter hitting for three damage off the bat, it kind of got nasty. Same with Hunter's reflexes. Right, right. Hunter's reflexes when everybody is a quarry, you know, sort of being a problem. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's I think there's a lot of good. I, th I think he's right, basically. We could have just read that. <laughs> Honestly, yeah, probably should have. Yeah, we we have some great questions, so um, get, get great patrons. Yeah, yeah, and, and they have great questions. Yeah, <laughs> um, or, yeah. The other one is from uh, Compact. He says, "Do you think Rothgorn's ability to make each fighter a quarry was a mistake because it made any hunter quarry card best suit him, kind of like Magic and Curse Breakers?" 
Would it have worked better if he got to cl- declare a single quarry at the start of the game? Honestly, man, we should have really just started with Portuguese. <laughs> Wait, I think Compaq and Valentin just need to start their own podcast. <laughs> yeah, or at least maybe we should have just had them talk under quarry because uh, they literally summarized our entire segment in... And some great ideas. In four bullet points. Um, so, yeah. yeah, let's hear your thoughts. You know, do you think it would be better if Rothworn got to declare a single quarry at the start of the game? Yeah, yeah, or yeah, that's. I think that's great. Um, I mean, I, I think the only way that I can see without complete overhauling it is just to make every almost every upgrade make you a quarry, and then make there be a lot of anti-quarry upgrades that are okay normally, and then great against quarries similar to victimize. I think if they did that, then maybe it would see play. But even then, I'm not really sure if it's something you would build for specifically or if you would just sort of assume that you'd get the interaction sometimes. Well, what if we take this idea that Rothgorn automatically makes all enemy quarries? What if every as long what if every hunter could make every enemy that it, it interacted with a quarry? Do you think that makes that takes the uh, interaction up a notch? Or do you like his I mean, suggestion I guess. right I mean, here? If, if everybody if everyone was always a if everyone was always a quarry, then you wouldn't need the quarry side of it, which I think that would actually be an option as well. Um, you know, like it, maybe if they had just done hunters and not done quarries, that would have been um, workable as well. So I don't know. It's interesting. And I hope that, uh, you know, in future seasons, the mechanics will uh, work a little bit better because you know the game is still a lot of fun to play but this is kind of a part of it that we don't really get to experience unfortunately yeah you know maybe if other hunters all had that same ability i think the biggest challenge which again you know hunter quarry is good enough for what it is um, but in order to reach that expectation that was was you know suggested to us through marketing material and conversations was that you know hunters and quarries should have probably done something innately and i think that would have made a huge difference in the way that we interacted with those mechanics as well as understood and reacted to those uh, yeah. mechanics as well. Yeah. Actually just remembered, I had a local player who said when they first heard about the hunters, they thought it would be like magic where the hunters would have their own dice. Um, and so there could have been something like that as well, where, you know, hunters get an extra dice or it's a special dice or, you know, something like that. So, um, I don't know. I, I feel like uh, there's all kinds of stuff they could have done, and uh, you know, maybe maybe they'll fix it, or maybe we'll just move on. Yeah, yeah. So I guess in short, so to be succinct here, Hunter Quarry is, you know, is a mechanic that has flavor and tactics and and strategy if you start off as a hunter, and it's not necessarily Hunter Quarry. It's just more so tapping into the hunter's centric cards. Um, Hrothorn is the most efficient in interacting with enemy quarries because of his warband faction ability, but nonetheless, um, it's more so of just reinforcing strategies he already wants to do, whether that's being aggressive or defensive. Uh, but overall, yeah, uh, it just seems like being a quarry isn't a big enough downside, and being a hunter is just kind of a nice to have. So that's kind of where we're at with the mechanic. Do you agree? Yeah, I think I do. Okay, 
Cool. Uh, funny note, if you're playing against Hrothborn, you pretty much always score absolute stillness. <laughs> yeah. Great, great card. <laughs> yeah. I almost wonder if the quarry stuff is so good right now that, like, that's actually a downside for Hrothgorn. <laughs> like, his normal advantage is, like, mitigated. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. That's, that's something interesting to think. I, I, I don't know if... That's the thing. It's like, I don't know if it is, right? That's, that's almost the entire Hunter Quarry concept in a nutshell. Like, how we feel about it is... I, I mean... Sure, but I don't. I don't think it matters. And if it comes up, then it's like, oh, that's neat. Yeah, yeah. Very interesting. Um, is there anything else we want to cover? No, I think uh, I think we covered everything we needed with Hunter Corey. And next time we'll just start with Valentine and Compact. <laughs> right. Um, I guess we do have an ask for the listeners. Um, we just want to know what is a Hunter Corey card you would like to see. Um, I think we had a couple. Or, you know, changes to the mechanic. I think we had a couple good suggestions and interested to hear yours. Um, if, I guess if you enjoy the mechanic as it is, let us know that too. could be interesting. Um, other than that, thank you. That is it for this episode. Once again, thank you to our Patreon supporters. If you'd like to support us, you can do so at patreon.com slash path to glory. If you have any feedback, questions, or comments, let us know on Facebook, Twitter, or Discord at Path to Glory Podcast. Please rate and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or whatever, wherever you get the podcast. As always, thanks for listening, and we wish you the best of luck on your path to glory. So if I'm a hunter, does that mean it's good to be fighting against quarries? Yes. Nice. <laughs> this is the Hag Queen signing out. <laughs> yeah, I hope that you don't get punished by Marathi anymore. That, that was ridiculous. I thought it was great.